Hi, I'm Kara Kilmer. I play Sylvie Brennan on Chicago Fire, and you are listening to Minas and Molly's. Gonna be all sunshine and roses, but I can promise it's gonna be a hell of a ride. Hey, Shinehards! Welcome to episode 283 of Meet Us at Molly's. We are going over last week's episodes 905, 1105, and 1205. 1205. No, I got it backwards. You got it backwards, yeah. And 1105. Yeah, Yeah. okay, cool. My bad. Uh, yeah, guys, sorry for the delay. You know, real life, real life does that thing sometimes where we've got to push it a couple of days. Both of us work very, very hard and our bodies sometimes are just like, no. And yeah. we have to listen to them. So we appreciate your patience. Sorry about that. But we're here. And yeah. Uh, and yeah. by the delay happening, we get a special interview at the end of this episode, which is really exciting. Surprise. That's <laughs> why we are dropping it at this time of day. Uh, yes. We can just say it, right? Yeah, we can say it. It's out. So, yeah, we can say it's it. It's out. Yeah. So, on Friday, we got to chat with Kara Kilmer. Oh. Uh, and we got to talk all about the wedding that's coming and, and preview it. And, and Well, and just reflect on her time on the show. Obviously, this week. I mean, week episode six is her last episode, and obviously that's confirmed now. Like, she's not, you know, coming back. I mean, she may come back eventually, but not anymore. It's so crazy. I cannot believe that this week is her very, like, the last time we're going to see her. I know. And she, we were even joking about a little bit with her that, like, she made it to 199. She was, like, one off. She had stayed one more week. She obviously would have made it to 200. But it's crazy. It's still wild. Yeah. So definitely stay tuned. To the very, very end, because you'll get to hear yes. our chat with Kara. Uh, but yeah, we've, we've, we're just going to jump on in. It's a, I, I feel like this is like the Bretzy wedding eve that we're like recording. I know. Crazy. I know. It's so crazy. So, okay. We're going to jump in. We've got a little bit of news, just a teeny bit. Um, there was a TV line article that dropped um, where basically they talked with Andy and Diane and just said, you know, they kind of talk about Hannah and Dean and tease a new romance. So, mm-hmm. uh, Bryna, you're the Hannah Archer fan. I'm going to let you take this one. Go ahead. Yeah. So, basically, obviously, it says Hannah and Dean, however, is not is another case. She's going to continue to be very close to Archer. That's still going to be going forward, Diane says. And their bond may not stay platonic. Friendships can turn into romantic relationships, Andy notes, adding, I think they both have feelings, but they're very sublimated. And then it goes on to talk about how it says, quote, Hannah and Ripley are developing a friendship, which might well turn into something more romantic. Um, And then it says if Hannah and Ripley become an actual couple, quote, Archer can't but help feel a little jealous, but he won't show it because he's generous. And then it goes to talk about how Archer has his own romance going, which we kind of get teased and we'll talk about later. So is that a yes? Is that a no? Is that a we don't know? How did you take that? I take it as that, like, I feel. I mean, I feel like it's obvious, especially, which, again, we'll talk about the ending scene or one of the ending scenes of this week's med. I feel like it's obvious they're going the Hannah Ripley route. But to me, it feels more of, like, they're going Hannah Ripley in order to eventually, and, like, Dean and the whatever the other lady's name is, which I can't remember right the second. Margo. I feel like they're going those routes in order to eventually get Hannah and Dean together eventually 
Hmm. Like, I don't see them, like, sticking with Hannah and Ripley that long, especially given that I feel like it's so fast. Like, Ripley just got here, and all of a sudden, he's in a romance. Like, that feels very fast to me. Wait, 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 wait. Don't throw them under the bus just yet. They've just made eyes at each other. No, I mean, I, I mean, literally, he says, or, you know, they say, like, Hannah and Ripley are developing a friendship, which might well turn into something more romantic. Mm-hmm. But you know what I'm saying. Like, I feel like it feels fast that they're even considering going there that soon with Ripley. Hmm. Whether it was, whether, I mean, I would feel that way about anyone, whether it was Hannah, whether it was Zola, whether, I mean, whoever they decided to throw at him, I would feel that way. It's not just because I like Hannah and Dean that I'm saying that. Yeah. I just feel like sometimes when they introduce romantic interests so fast, it's like, okay, that's great. And yeah, maybe that'll end up being the end game. But like most of the times they don't end up lasting and there are more plot devices to get one of the other characters to somebody else. So I don't know. We'll see. But I feel like it's obvious they're going Hannah and Ripley at least a little bit. And then Dean and whatever her name is <laughs> a little bit. Um. But I still, I, this doesn't, like, deter me or anything. I don't feel like they're never going to go there. Yeah, I I got it. I got an I don't know vibe from this this article. Like, what, they, you mean, they, like I don't know, like, they don't know what they're doing? Not yet. that they don't know what they're doing. Just that, you know, people are asking, are they going to get together? And Andy and Diane's answer kind of being, we don't know. We haven't decided yet. Right, that they haven't made up their minds on which way they're going to go yet. On, like, yeah. what they're going to do with them. Yep. Yeah, I just feel like, though, I feel like it's interesting where they're like, oh, if Hannah and Ripley do become a couple, then, like, Archer's going to feel jealous. But obviously, he's not going to show that to Hannah, but, like, that he would feel jealous. Like, that to me feels like, okay, because they very could have easily not said that and, like, not made him jealous and just been like, no, Hannah and Dean are strictly friends. But by them throwing in that quote about, oh, well, he may be jealous, I feel like, I don't know. I feel like they're going to go there eventually, whether it's this season, next season. I feel, I do feel like they're going to go there. I really do. Yeah. That'll be interesting. We'll see. We'll see. So. Hmm. Yep. Uh, Yeah. And so the whole thing about he has his own romance going, we got a little hint of that last week. Very, very tiny, tiny tease. And like, honestly, if they hadn't said that quote, I wouldn't have even thought about her in that way. Yeah. Because it's like they don't really like do that much with it this week, but like because they said the quote, it's like, oh, okay, that's gonna be who it is. Yeah. So. Yep. Uh, we also got episode descriptions. I actually haven't seen these, so I'm reading these. These fresh. are for this week. So like for we've th- seen the promos, but like uh, still okay. not the official, you know, descriptions. Okay. So yeah, these are these are for the episodes that air in two days. So yeah. uh, Med Nine Hundred Six is called. I told myself that I was done with you. Maggie empathizes with a patient whose mother is afraid to consent to her son's risky surgery. Ripley treats someone from his past. Zola questions her instincts after her actions have unexpected consequences. Do you think Ripley's someone from his past is his mom? No, because we saw in the preview, I think it's a male friend. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. I haven't rewatched the previews in long. I just, they dropped that stuff about his mom, which we'll talk about, and I just found that very interesting mm-hmm. yeah i also felt the line about zola could apply to like any episode for her <laughs> yeah like, like this Will. week i don't know yeah. yeah 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 go ahead and take us through fire 
Um, Fire 1206, Port in the Storm. Firehouse 51 welcomes back some familiar faces and says goodbye to Brett. Violet scrambles to decorate Brett's wedding venue. A call at the Expo Center takes a shocking turn. So are we supposed to treat this week like a mid-season finale? I don't know. I mean, I hope not because I hope we don't take weeks off, but like maybe. I just feel like, well, one, I feel like the familiar faces are obviously... Casey's coming back. And Seb probably. Is back. Yeah. yeah. Like, I don't feel like we're getting someone else. Right. I mean, we've seen kind of in the pictures that, like, um, you know, the Darden boys are there and um, Poppy. Kylie's there. And, like, we've seen, you know, some other people. But, like, I don't feel like we're getting some, like, major return or anything like that. Other than Casey and Severide, obviously. Right. The call at the Expo Center is interesting. Like, why is it so shocking? Like what happens? Exactly, but I, 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 the way it's described, it kind of gives cliffhanger vibes. But I could be well, wrong. Do you think the expo that that call happens after the wedding or before the wedding? Because that determines everything. If it happens before the wedding, then it can't be that bad. Because everyone we've seen is at the wedding. That's true. Oh, unless it. Mm. What I wonder if it has to do with what we're going to talk about in two seconds. Does something happen to that character and why that makes sense? On Like, oh, shit. I mean, this is me like totally reaching, totally reaching. That is, yeah, that's a big reach. Well, plus what we'll get to what we're going to get to in two seconds. But like, what episode are they on right now is my question. I'm trying to think about in terms of PD. I think people said they're on, like, in PD, because, you know, a bunch of people are at it filming. I want to say I think PD's on nine, eight or nine. Hmm. So I assume Fire's relatively close if PD's on eight or nine, but Fire's on eight or nine, give or take. Hmm. I don't know. I also feel like, like I said, if the expo call, center call comes before the wedding, then it can't be that bad. If they, like, have the wedding and then the expo center calls, like, the next shift after the wedding, then maybe that gives mid-season finale vibes. Have we done a deep dive on, like, who is in the promo photos and who's not in terms of, like, we know we've we've seen, we've seen Miranda, we've seen Joe. Hold uh, on. Yeah, to NBC. Yeah. Research to, time. Yeah, to NBC. I know, I'm doing the same thing. Hang on. Yeah, hold on a second. Let's find out. <laughs> Live sleuthing on the uh, podcast. There's Mouch in the background, so he's okay. All right, hold on. Let me find the promo photos. Violet, Zev, Bowden, all okay. All right, Mouch, yes. Violet. So we're missing Carver? Hold on. Where's that one of them that's like... Facing all the people. Oh, 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 here's some faces. Oh, no, Carver's at the wedding. Hold on. And then there's Herman. Yeah, Carver, Herman, for sure. I see them. There was one where they had, like, all the people, fa- like, they were facing all the people. Where is that photo? Is it this one? No, there was one in the reverse, like, or was that the promo I'm thinking of? It might have been the promo, but... I think everybody's accounted for at the wedding then. I think so, except for his new guy at the, is uh, Gibson at the wedding. Would he have been at the wedding? But would I he have like been at the wedding? I feel like only because anyway? it's the fire, like because it's fire. Like, if, yeah, I feel like he would have been. 
now I'm about to watch the see if I can find the promo. All right, hold on a second. Okay. Joe, Severide, Stella, Carver. I see Trudy, so I assume I can see Mouch eventually. Yeah, no, Mouch is in one of them. Yeah. So, okay, that's all I get from that angle. And then we saw Herman in a photo. Yeah, yeah, Herman's in. So I feel like most people, you don't see Ritter. And we haven't seen uh new guy Gibson Gibson okay so TBD we will see TBD oh my <laughs> yeah oh boy and then after that we've got PD uh PD eleven oh six is called survival intelligence teams up with ASA Chapman to take on an abduction case involving a teenager the case hits close to home for Voight leading him to take a personal interest in finding justice for the victim Chapman's back she is back also Voight personal I think Adam is the one missing this week he's not in any of the promo photos oh okay oh I hate it yeah um, I don't know. I mean, I'll be curious to see, like, why Voight, like, what the personal interest is for Voight. Yeah. Why does it hit close to home? I don't know. Question. I'm trying to think about things that we know about Voight, but, like, I can't think of anything, you know, off the top of my head. Unless it's, like, an old case from one of the earlier seasons that, I, I don't know. We'll see. Yeah, we'll see. We'll see. But. I like the Chapman's back. She kind of pushes him and. That's good. I'm curious. Yeah. We'll see. She hits her. She's hit or miss for me. So. Yeah. So after the episode descriptions, there's just a little bit. This 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 is isn't really kind of news. It's just kind of a question mark. Um, yeah. So during the weekend, Rome posted on his Instagram story and it was like somebody had made like an edit for him and he posted it and he said being on truck 81 was a gift. Or yeah, like it, he it said was a, it was a gift to be on Truck 81. Yeah, he said, love to my Chicago Fire family. It was a gift to be on Truck 81. Was? Yeah. You don't, that's, I mean, I don't feel like that's a typo. So, I don't know. Don't know. I hope it's a typo because I like him so far. So. Yeah, I hope it's a typo too. Because, think about it. We're going to have to get a new paramedic sometime yep. soon yep like next week <laughs> and yeah i don't want to have to get another person on truck 81 the only person i would accept is kylie so what if he's the one that moves to ambo and that's why he said it was a gift to be truck on 81 because he's not on truck 81 anymore maybe is that a reach? What I was saying the reach what we were talking about earlier is obviously the call at the expo center takes a shocking turn what if something happens to Gibson, which is why Rome is now saying was. Like, what if they kill him? Oh, my God. <laughs> no more. He gets injured. So I don't know. That's like a total reach. I don't feel like that's it. But, like, that's a reach. That's a very big reach. Right. I don't know. Question mark? <laughs> so many question marks. But actually, though, like, and, and I realized that he just got here, but we were just starting to settle into some stability. Well, and the thing is, too, is, like, so far, so good. I feel like everyone kind of likes him so far. 
Yeah. With, with Carver last year, it was like up and down and, you know, some people, you know, up and down. But like, so far, so good with him. And I'm like, okay, <laughs> like you're here. Cool. And we just got all this backstory on him. Yeah. Dear God, I hope he's not leaving. <laughs> I know. I hope so too. <laughs> it's been five episodes. And I hope that like next week or in two weeks, even like we look back on this and we're like, ha ha ha. We were so naive to read into an Instagram right. story. Right. Like, I hope that's the case. Ha ha. That was stupid of us. Ha ha. Yeah. Jokes on us. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> In two weeks' time, I'm going to be posting this clip alongside the one that's going to cut over to us being yeah. like, fuck, we were right. It was like the one we did earlier when we were talking about Kara leaving mm-hmm. from the finale. And we're like, oh, yeah. And then it was like, wah, wah. Yep. That didn't go great. <laughs> so, yeah. We'll see. Um, we've got a new patron on board with us, which is great. Um, Robin Hold, welcome to the patron group. Welcome to the family. Yes. Welcome, welcome, welcome. Yes. So glad you joined. Um you're gonna have fun we have a lot of fun in the the patron group so Mm -hmm. if you would like to support the pod for as little as two dollars a month please check the link in our socials again we have so much fun in there um our group just finished uh there was a tiny group of us that did a a group watch for my canadian cop show flashpoint we just finished that i think last week and so now we're moving on to the next show and we're gonna start watching the night shift so night shift yeah i joined that chat uh tbd how much we'll get to watch but if they do thursdays but still we have so much fun. We're just the night shift is very important to Gina and I because that's how we met. And this yeah. podcast would not exist if it wasn't for the night shift. None so. of this would exist without that show. Yeah. Yeah. So. Yeah. Cool. All right. Shall we move into the episodes? Let's do it. Okay. So I felt like the energy was so off this week for all three shows. Well, last week, I guess. Like, for all three, this episode of Med did not do it for me. What did you think? It was just so sad. <laughs> I I thought it was sad, but I thought it was very dry. There was very little personal stuff. I feel stuff. like in a lot of ways, I mean, I feel like aside from the Ripley stuff and maybe even the Maggie stuff to a certain, I feel like otherwise it was very much kind of filler. Like, it wasn't bad. It just, like was the episode they kind of need to get the other stuff except for obviously i think ripley and then like i said maggie to a certain extent yeah i think fire and med this past week were absolute fillers yeah fire to an extent except for again i would say maybe like gibson stuff obviously we get a ton of backstory there but like which may not even matter in the long run (laughs) dear god again i hope we're wrong um but yeah, I would say Med just felt a little fillery. It wasn't a bad episode by any means. It was just like, yeah, I would say maybe a little dry. Um, but the Ripley stuff, man, that tore my heart out. I watched it again today and I was so, I've cried like three times now at that episode because like it stunned me in. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. So uh, we'll start with Zola because like three of them had the first scene, but Zola was one of them. <laughs> so we'll start with her. So Zola's patient is a teenager with her his heart rate like in the 140s and that's like the only symptom he's like I feel fine my heart's just freaking racing yeah so they do the math and that plus this pain on his right side it's appendicitis like that's more likely yeah his appendix hasn't burst yet but yeah uh and then I I I saw I saw your tweet when we were at this point because we diagnosed the appendicitis like 10 minutes in. Yeah. I know my thought, I was like, well, he's gonna die. And yeah. you tweeted pretty much the same thing. Yeah, I was like, that's not gonna hold. No. Like it's gonna be way more than appendicitis. 
I was like, if only I was like this poor kid, like it's too bad that it, we're diagnosing it this early and it's not just appendicitis. Yeah. Yeah. But we got lucky because it was just appendicitis. Right. And the appendicitis ended up being a catch for early, you know, for everything else early, very early. Yeah. Yeah. Which was crazy. So, uh, yeah. So Crockett goes in, takes it out. One thing that got me when Kai like takes out the appendix, is that really how tiny the appendix is? I think so. It's so little. It's like minuscule. Something. It's kind of crazy that like that something so so minuscule can like cause you so much pain. Yeah. When it happens, right? That's crazy. Also, it took me forever to realize that that was Kai, and because I was like, "Oh, no interns this week," and then I was like, "Oh, never mind. Just kidding. We did get Kai." But he's, like, well, barely there, and it was, like, in a surgery scene. So, like, he's in scrubs, and I was like, okay. There was a second there, because, you know, Crockett was obviously, like, teaching him, like, this is what you do to take it out. They had yeah. put so much emphasis on it that I thought for a second Kai was going to, like, pull out the wrong thing or something. Yeah, and then it was, like, totally benign, and it was like, okay. Just a little bitty appendix. That's yeah, all. totally went fine. Surgery, yeah. okay. Yep. So they did end up finding appendiceal cancer, but only like a centimeter of it. Um, and like appendiceal cancer is really rare, like super, I mean, super rare. I guess it makes sense that obviously if you can get cancer of like almost everything else that like you could get cancer of your appendicitis or your appendix, but like literally never even thought about that. I didn't even know that was a thing. Yeah. And the only reason I've heard of it, there was that sportscaster on ESPN uh, who died of it. Was it Stuart Scott? Was that his name? Yeah, but I didn't think was it appendicitis cancer? Or it was appendiceal cancer? cancer, yeah. I didn't realize I like, that. That's where it had started and then I think it spread. Okay, maybe I was thinking I was like, I thought it was like way, yeah. Oh yeah, yeah it was yeah, it was its appendix. Yeah. So in terms of patients on Chicago Med, this kid is like the luckiest because the worst thing that happens to him is that he has a reaction to a med. And that's it. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, like, very easily they're able to, like, get the allergic reaction under control. And, like, they're, like, okay. Yeah. Pretty much. So, yeah. Like, they only use as a med to wake him. He has an allergic reaction to that. Done. Fixed. Cool. Whatever. So, Zola goes Zola. She does some digging. And it turns out that he's not the only person this has happened to. Um, This particular med it's happened to, I think, what, like 10 times the amount of patients that the company reports that it happens to. It's crazy. So Zola does some digging and she's just like, we need to pull this med because the company says it's one in 2,500 who react and at med it's one in 200. Like, we need to fix that. I Not that I thought her digging, like, I thought that her going to Crockett and asking her to, like, him take it, you know, basically not stop using it. I thought that part was fine. But, like, if I had been Zola and I saw that he had an allergic reaction, and they, obviously I'm not a doctor, so maybe I don't know these things. But I would have been like, okay, yeah, this kid is just allergic to this. And obviously they didn't know he was allergic to this. I don't think it would have caused me to do more digging and, like, ultimately be like, no, the hospital should stop using this. I don't, yeah, I, I think most seasoned doctors wouldn't do that digging either, but Zola is, Zola's kind of a renegade, and she's using it for good, if you ask me. Yeah, I just, like I said, I didn't have a problem with her asking Crockett to, like, go to the board and, you know, talk about it, discuss pulling it, but, like, I just thought about it when I, she started doing the digging, I was like, what is she looking, he just had an allergic reaction, I was like, what does she do, like, why is she digging that bad? 
she's going a level further than most doctors go. I mean, you see, you, you see and hear it most of the time these days is that when you go see a doctor, they brush you off and just say, oh, it's anxiety or, oh, it's whatever. And she's going the extra mile. For sure. And I think she's doing it like uh, I think her asking Crockett as Crockett is the board liaison, you know, representing all the doctors. I think her asking him was totally fine. Like, I don't think that's like crazy of her to do, you know, like Will and Natalie, you know, the people that she's compared to, I mean, they would have done, I don't know what even they would have done, but like, they would not have just done that. (laughs) So yeah, I think Zola uses her voice in a very appropriate way. Same. I think it's good that she's fearless. I mean, I think she's going to learn that it can bite her in certain ways, but I hope that doesn't hamper her in the long run. Right. Because like he, like what she said, like what's the worst she can do? She goes to Crockett, she asks him, they discuss it and it's either yes or no, but like, what's the worst that's going to happen? She's not going to get fired just for suggesting that. Right. So. Yeah. Um, yeah. And so like, like we said, we, she takes it to Crockett and I mean, shout out to Crockett for hearing her out and not dismissing her. Yeah. So, I mean, I think he clearly recognizes too, that like, she's, she's chaotic and, you know, she has an unorthodox way of doing things, but it's for the greater good. She's got a point. Right. So I like her for that. Yeah. Yeah. So Crockett does take it to the board. Um, but the board does the board things and they, they're, you know, they're like, we have to go about this bureaucratically, you know, we have to research it, blah, blah, blah. Zola's not really satisfied. And she's just like, well, let me talk to them. And so Crockett just has to stop her and be like, drop it, Zola. Like, that's not how things work here. And then we just kind of leave it at that. Yeah. And I feel like for one, I mean, in this specific case, it's not the most emergent pressing issue. Like they do have the time to like, research it and make their decision on what they want to do um but yeah i I don't know what zola thought was going to happen that they were going to take a vote right then and there and be like yeah okay we're pulling it we're done like i mean i think in her mind everybody operates as at the pace she does right right and she just has to learn that that, like crockett said this literally that's not how things work Mm -hmm. so Yeah. yeah yeah But yeah, we just kind of leave it at that. It feels kind of unfinished, in my opinion. Yeah, I mean, I I, I don't know what else would have really happened. I mean, the kid's fine. Like, you know, Zola kind of sees him out on um, his way out. And they're like, thank you so much. Like, blah, blah, blah. And yeah. I, yeah. I mean, I guess it's that she doesn't feel like her business is finished. Like, she doesn't feel like she's done all she can do. Yeah, and I think, but I think obviously even the lesson in the, her whole storyline is that she learned that sometimes things are not going to go her way. And that doesn't mean she shouldn't keep fighting for it, but like she sometimes has to be more patient with change. Change isn't always going to happen overnight. Right. So. Right. I'm just really liking seeing her develop. I don't, I, I just, I'm, I'm enjoying her. I'm I'm very much enjoying her. I think she's a breath of fresh air to Med. I really do. Yeah, and so far her motives haven't been this like her motives haven't been similar to what Will or Natalie's were, where usually it was Will and Natalie just trying to one up each other. Yeah. Like she's in it for She's in it for the patients and not for herself. And a lot right. of times Will and Natalie came off as they were doing stuff, like you said, to one up each other. For competition for themselves because they wanted to be like look i'm right and that's not why you do this 
Right. You could even throw Connor in there a little bit too. Yeah. In the later seasons, especially when it was him and Ava always one up doing each other. It was like, oh my God. Okay, we get it. Now I have no doubt in my mind that Will and Natalie were always trying to do what was best for the patient 110% of the time. It's just that sometimes it came off, like you said. Yeah. Like it was a self And their motive. methods were a lot more out there. Yeah. And so far, Zola, especially because she knows she has a target on her back, and Will and Natalie got away with everything and never really had a target on their back until the very end when, like, Natalie got fired and, you know, Will left before he could get fired. Um, But yeah, Zola knows that she has to kind of somehow keep it in line or else she is going to get fired and she won't be able to continue doing this work. Yeah. So, yeah. So we got some listener thoughts on this. Jamie R said, I'm not a Zola fan after last hour. Yeah, I'm not a Zola fan after this episode. I don't know if it's just me getting older or what, but I swear she's no Natalie Manning or Halstead. Her antics just seemed immature and disrespectful, not daring and noble. I I, I can see how you, you know, I can see how that comes across that way. Um, yeah. She's just, I kind of envision her like a puppy. She's young and she's just got a lot of energy and she just doesn't know how to channel it properly. Yeah, and I I mean, I definitely think in this case, like, I could kind of see how maybe it came off as a little immature, for sure. Um, But I, she's definitely in my mind not like we just talked about, not Natalie and Halstead. And I, I mean, you know, I was never, I mean, I liked Will. Like, I never had an issue, but I was not, like, a diehard Will Halstead stan, unlike my co-host over there. And so I don't know what you're talking about, Brenna. Yeah, I... (laughs) don't know um but so for me i really like zola and i'm definitely here to see more of her for sure yeah i'm with you on that one yeah so then we move on to ripley and as brian said this one this one was a uh it was pretty gut-wrenching i like joke i not joke but like a lot of times i feel like i'm like oh man it almost like i was sobbing and like i don't always sob but this one I actually mean it when I said I cried and I cried when I rewatched it like on Thursday when we thought we may record and then I rewatched it today and I was like why am I crying again <laughs> like every time it's that end scene I yeah I mean I felt bad for the guy but I think it was Ripley's sort of connection to it that really yeah, was I just like, I don't know what the whole thing was but like yeah. it got me again it, <laughs> it got me every time for sure. Oh. Yeah, go for it. So Ripley's, again, as we know, he runs to the hospital. So on his run in, there's this woman who's helping an old man in the hospital. And he just keeps saying, help Betty, help Betty. And then they get him in and it's he clearly has some kind of like hypothermia too. And they like, so they wheel him into the ED and he then starts shouting for like a Dr. Sorensen. Whoever that is. We don't know. We just know Betty. And we know Dr. Sorensen. We don't even know who this guy's name is. And so Ripley starts examining him. And what he says, he's like, he's out of it. I don't really know what's going on. He's just, he's out of it. We find out that his name is Jimmy. And that Betty is his sister. And she's apparently homesick. And he sees Dr. Sorensen at this hospital. That's all we get. And all they find is a phone number in his pocket. So um, the nurse, Nancy, she is like, okay, well, let me try calling it. That's all we know at this point. So Ripley 
as Dr. Charles for his opinion. And it's like, these two play nice. Like, love to see that. We're here for that. Um, And so Dr. Charles goes in. And because at first they're like, of course, maybe it's Alzheimer's. He has dementia. Like, he ran away, you know, left a care facility. And that's why he's confused. Like, that's really where they're going. And at, Dr. Charles goes in, examines him. And they're just like, look, it's some kind of intellectual deficit. But they still kind of are leaning more towards like the Alzheimer's, you know, dementia route. And then we're like literally like 15 minutes into the show and somebody mentions they're like, oh yeah, CPD, like we're going to go check, try to figure out who this Betty is. And it's like, okay, probably should have done that from the beginning, but. Shouldn't, shouldn't you have done that the minute he walked in the hospital? That was my first thought when he was talking about Betty. I was like somebody should probably find out whether she's like an actual Betty or not. Well, And my first thought was like, okay, so they find, they obviously don't find an ID. So he says the name is Jimmy and that's all, obviously all you have to go off of. But then they find the phone number in her, his pocket, like on the sticky note. And I'm like, well, can't they just go trace that? Like figure out whose phone number it is and like where, like you should have started there in my opinion, but yeah. What do I know? <laughs> what do I know? So they get a head CT and they're obviously waiting on CPD for more information. And so Nurse Nancy figures out kind of what happened to Dr. Sorensen. He was a doctor at Chicago Med, but he died 50 years ago. Hey. Like, didn't even stop practicing 50 years ago. He died 50 years ago. So it's like, okay. Mm-hmm. Cool. Yep. So then they look at this head CT and it doesn't show any signs that he probably has Alzheimer's or dementia or anything like that. But they do find some like scarring at the front and they figure out that he had a lobotomy. Holy shit. Yeah. And Ripley is rattled by this. He's watching like not the video that they did on Jimmy, but obviously like an explanation type video from like the old days of like lobotomies. And so they show, you know, they're explaining this and they're like, they used a, you know, they used to ram an ice pick up your eyelid to sever the nerves in the like prefrontal cortex. This episode destroyed my Google search history, by the way. Um, yeah. Cause yeah, I, I went digging too on, um, after this one. Cause I mean, you know, you've heard of lobotomies. It's just that I didn't realize that they were like. How insane they were. Insane and archaic and cruel. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I just, but I can't even imagine, like, I didn't get that far in Googling, but it, I mean, that doesn't even sound like a real science. It sounds like a total junk treatment that, like, and how did they even, what, what, what about them even made it, made them think that it worked? Well, so what they end up, you know, in the episode they talk about is how they used to do it on like what they call difficult patients. And I think part of why, because obviously Ripley's so rattled by this, but when he hears that part, I think he's so rattled by it because that ultimately, I mean, obviously if he lived back then, it probably would have happened to him. Yeah. Given the little bit we know about, you know, Ripley's history, what we learned from Dr. Charles, he was obviously probably quoted as a difficult kid, you know, a difficult teenager. Cause that's what Jimmy was at the time. He was just a kid, essentially a teenager. Yeah. And I think Ripley realized it's like, holy shit, that also could, Jimmy could have been me if yeah. I was alive when Jimmy was alive, you know, back in the day. Right. It's crazy. It's so crazy. And he, I, I mean, he just feels so sad for this guy because, I mean, he was completely robbed of his life. Yeah. And again, that could have been Ripley. In an alternate universe, that could have been Ripley. 
I wonder if Ripley feels like in a way him being medicated to this the, to the extent that he was was kind of like a lesser version of a lobotomy. Probably. I guess theoretically a less cruel version obviously but like a chemical version yeah a chemical version yeah so cpd finally shows up i know that girl she shows up a lot as like cpd we don't always see on pd but what's her name rosado rosado yeah she she was the one in the burgess episode a couple weeks ago yes i was like she shows up a lot when you need like other people that aren't intelligent she's like kind of one of the main pd people um so she shows up and she's explaining what they found out. And basically they find out that Betty died. And Jimmy was probably the reason he was like coming out and looking for someone is, you know, maybe she fell or something or whatever. And so he went looking for her and then she ended up dying in the apartment or wherever they were. Um, and she was his caretaker. So now Jimmy's all alone. And, you know, so they end up calling social services and the woman comes to get him. And Ripley handles this beautifully. I mean, as best as, you know, this is a really tough situation. Um, Because he's like, Ripley, or he's like, Jimmy, you know, you're going with this nice lady. And Jimmy's just like, well, is Betty going to be there? And he doesn't tell Jimmy that she died. He just says, you know, no, she's not going to be there. And, you know, he's sad about it. But Ripley gives that or gives him the picture that Rosado found in the apartment or house or wherever of the two of them and he gives it to them and Jimmy's like I was cold and now I'm warm and he's like thanks Ripley and I like I, I lost it I was crying like honestly I feel like I'm gonna like start crying just talking about it like it's oh, it's man. a heartbreaker it's it tugged at my heartstrings and I like I said I've cried now three times <laughs> and I'm about I like feel like I'm gonna cry a fourth time just talking about that scene yeah Oh, so then he goes, you know, Dr. Charles sitting at the desk or whatever, and Ripley goes and talks to Dr. Charles, and we get this. It's a, uh, a tough one, huh? I just keep wondering what his life might have been if, you know. If they hadn't given up on him? Yeah. I needed to ask you, were you ever able to reconnect with your mom? No. I heard she's been in and out of rehab, in and out of custody. Well, I'm sorry to hear that. And I'm also, I'm, I'm, I'm just so sorry if I turned out to be yet another person who made you feel abandoned in this life you know i just i genuinely regret that and i i hope you'll accept my apology so we get more ripley backstory about you know his mom and that whole a little bit about that situation and so i wonder if okay so if his mom was in and out of rehab we don't know we don't know if his dad was present or not i wonder if she just kind of like dumped him at chicago med and was like i can't handle him you handle this right or if when she was having one of those episodes you know when she was out of rehab and was like kind of on the verge of going back to rehab she 
thought he did something to her when he probably really didn't. And she was like, okay, yeah, you got to go here. I can't handle this or something like that. Yeah. I also wonder if he became a doctor because of what happened to him. Probably. Hmm. I can't imagine that he did. I feel like that has a huge, obviously had a huge impact on his life. Yeah, I feel like there's more to him that we need to learn. Right. We're getting little bits and bits, but there's still a lot more there. Yeah. Do you, um, I'm also getting the vibe that, you know, do you think he's forgiven Dr. Charles or you think he's kind of in the process of it right now? I think he's in the process of it. And I think in this moment, I think Dr. Charles apologizing, I think that's probably going to go a long way. Mm -hmm. Um. But no, I don't think he's totally forgiven him yet, but I think he's like baby steps. Like, I think he's like in the process of it. I think it's a big difference between this episode and the season premiere. I mean, the season premiere, Dr. Charles tries to apologize and Ripley's just like, you're full of it. Well, yeah. And I mean, Ripley would like went around Dr. Charles, even though he needed to call in psych. He's like, nope, not going there. Yeah. I mean, well, there, you know, he's got it for a doctor. He's got a certain degree of medical trauma. You can only imagine. Yeah. But, I mean, the fact that he even just, like, was like, hey, Dr. Charles, can you give me your opinion on this in the beginning? I mean, without even Dr. Charles apologizing, like, that's a huge step. Yeah. So, I think he's getting there. I just don't think we're there yet. But it's progress. Definitely progress. That's got to be really hard to have not seen somebody for, like, 20 years and all of a sudden have them thrust back into your life. Yeah, And you've got to work with them. For sure. And that person caused you... A lot of harm, a lot of trauma, not even maybe intentionally, but they did. And that's what you mark. He marks Dr. Charles as like relating to that time in his life. You could argue that Dr. Charles is a walking trigger for him. Yeah. And again, we don't know exactly what happened. We've gotten bits and pieces, but we don't know the full details. But yes, theoretically, yes. Yeah. So. Interesting. Yeah. And then it ends with he and Hannah have this moment in the doctor's lounge where like he's decided he's working another shift, you know, basically it's second shift straight on. And so is Hannah. And so they're laying on the bunk beds and they're, it's not really like, they don't really talk about anything like super important, but um, it does end like the camera pans to Hannah on the bottom shift. And she kind of has this like smiley look on her face. So a slight moment. Teeny. Teeny. Yep. Um, we did have listener thoughts. Jamie R. said, thank God for Luke Mitchell. I was really worried about how it was going to turn out after Nick Gelf has left, but he seriously brought new life to the show, and it feels like it's got another chance, and it's not on the downward spiral that it felt like it was headed towards. He single-handedly kept Blindspot on as long as he was. I got to where I didn't even care about the storylines. I only wanted to see what Roman was doing. Yes, his name on it was Roman. <laughs> <laughs> if I remember correctly, he was uh, Jamie Alexander's brother on that show. I've only seen a handful of episodes. Uh, I keep getting Blindspot and what was the one that Priyanka Chopra was on? Quantico? Yes, I always, I don't know why I get them mixed up, but like in my mind, I'm like, this is not Priyanka. I'm like, no, this is not the one Priyanka Chopra was Monica on. was so good. I just thought I about just, that In my mind, because they were, I think, kind of on roughly at the same time. Roughly? What sort of. If on? I remember correctly, Quantico was on Sundays and- No, I just mean like- it was Mondays. At the same time, like- Oh, yeah, yeah. Because this, 
I looked it up. Blind spot was 2015 to 2020, and Quantico TV series was also 2015 to 2018. So, yeah. in my mind, I'm just like, I kind of get them confused a little bit. Both good shows, both really yeah. good shows. So, yeah. Uh, Lexi said, Hannah and Mitch is a ship that I never thought I would see. I'm not a Dasher shipper, but so, so I love this. And I'm so curious to see where this potential ship is going to go if it goes anywhere. Either way, I want more of them. And I'm with Lexi. I like it. I mean, I like their friendship. I, again, I am a Dasher shipper, so, like, I don't want it to go that way. But I do, I mean, I like them. Like I said, I like Ripley a lot. I really, I really like Ripley a lot. Yeah, same. I, I think they've done a really good job with the new characters this season. Because, I mean, and, and I said it during the premiere, too. It kind of feels like Chicago met the new class, but not in an unfamiliar way. Right. And, like, Zola, I feel like Ripley's um is, like, a total breath of fresh air. I really do. Yeah. Yeah. I like it. I like it. Yeah. So then we've got Goodwin. Everybody in this hospital is just having a rough day. It's just not yeah. a good day for anybody in the hospital. So uh, Sharon fills in Dr. Charles on the whole bird thing. Because remember, he wasn't in last week's episode and we still don't know where he was, but whatever. So she mentions in this conversation, she's like, you know, Bert has a family history of dementia. Well, that basically, you know, that that changes things. That makes it, I mean, I feel like we were less yeah. worried last week, but now knowing he's got a family history, we're like, oh no, yeah, that's not good. So- she mentions to Dr. Charles, because Dr. Charles and Bert are old friends. They go back. And so she says, she's like, you know, to get Bert to see a doctor or make an appointment for anything, it's it's a huge ordeal. Yeah. And so they hatch a plan for Dr. Charles to swing by later. So basically, she's trying to talk him into a physical. She's like, look, you're here. You may as well just do it. It's a follow-up for your knee, but like, you may as well just do your physical. And she says, she's like, you owe it to your children and grandchildren to look after your health. And that right there, in my opinion, should have squashed anything from being an ordeal. That should have been enough to get through to Bert. Like, hello, this is why you need to do this. Yeah. Well, yeah. I think that's ultimately why he ends up agreeing, even though he's kind of like begrudgingly doing it. Like, I think that's ultimately why he agrees to do it. Yeah. Yeah. So... Dr. Charles takes over the physical from Dr. Archer and he's just kind of tests him with like little memory things. So he asks him a question about math, which is completely not fair in my opinion, because Bert was only off by 10. Yeah. Also, while we're talking about this, I think he mentioned it earlier, but like, can we talk about the fact that Dr. Charles and Bert, I guess, are have still been friends after the whole, like him and Goodwin got divorced? Like, he, Dr. Charles is like, oh, this is my friend of, like, 40 years. And I'm like, you're still friends? Yeah, I didn't even think about that. Yeah. Like, to I me, mean, it was just, like, I mean, granted, you know, depending on, I mean, we kind of saw when the divorce happened. It wasn't, like, the most, the ugliest, ugliest divorce that we've ever seen. And so, like, I guess, I just guess I never thought that, like, Dr. Charles was also friends with Bert aside from Goodwin. I just figured that, like, he was friends with Goodwin. And so, like, he hung out with Bert while he was with Goodwin. I didn't realize they were, like, separately friends. Well, that I took it that way, too, that, you know, he was, you know, he and Goodwin are, you know, work friends. And so that's how he became friends with Bert. It's just that Bert, Sharon and Dr. Charles go so far back. That that's why it spans 40 But he years. mentions that he's been friends with Bert for, like, 40 years. So, like, yeah. that's how long he's been friends with Goodwin? I think so. Jesus. Yeah. I don't know. I just thought it was funny because he's like, oh, yeah, I haven't talked to Bert in like a couple of weeks. And I'm like, so you're still in contact with him? I just thought that was like a little 
funny because I just guess I wouldn't have pictured that. I imagine that Dr. Charles probably followed Sharon's lead and was like, do we hate him or do we like him? And so while the divorce was going down, he probably kept his distance. But then once he realized that they could be civil about it, he was like, okay, we'll remain friends. Yeah. I just thought that was interesting. No, I thought it was interesting, too, how, you know, he was like, oh, like, I, I texted Bert, like, like, a week or so ago. I'm like, what are you doing contacting Bert? Like, yeah. Yeah. Also, I meant to, I had it written down on uh, Thursday when I was rewatching this. But when they're talking about the odds for the Bulls game, I'm trying to remember who they just played. But that team was, like, what they were playing on Thursday night. He's like, tomorrow's Bulls game against whatever team. I'm trying to look it up. Was, like, the actual game that was airing, that played on Thursday night shout out who it was i just thought it was funny because like let's see oh the celtics i thought it was the celtics but that was the actual game that was being played on thursday night so kind of writers we see you yeah the attention to detail we appreciate it that's a good touch yeah that's a good touch i like that so yeah and and at one point in the conversation dr charles is like you know hey what if we meet for lunch on friday and bert's like yeah let's do it so bert does forget that they had talked about lunch like, okay, but the math question was not fair at all because he was off by 10, which is like nothing. And when you're doing math that quickly, come on now. Yeah, I uh, don't like doing mental math. So no. I may or may not have gotten it wrong alongside him. Yeah, like if you, in, in, depending on what it is, if you can't like see the numbers in your head, I can't like. Yeah, can't. my dad asked me a math question earlier and he's and he was like, Bryna, come on. And I'm like, I don't do mental math that fast. Like I don't stop. No. Doesn't not mean I'm all. bad at math. I just can't do it in my mind that well. Yeah. So Goodwin and Dr. Charles finally confront Bert. Go ahead. Tell her what great shape I'm in. Well, I mean, by and large, you are. There you go. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Noticed a uh, a minor balance issue. I hurt my knee. What do you expect? And some short-term memory issues. Memory. What do you mean? Well, you're forgetting things, Bert. Well, who doesn't forget things? What's this about? Really just about your your friends and your family being a little bit concerned. That's all. Concerned? We'd like you to take some more tests, Bert. What tests? Oh, to see if I'm all there. Confusmentus. Is that what you're talking about? Well, I mean, if there is an issue, and trust me, big if... Don't you want to know? I mean, I certainly would. There isn't. Well, just in case, let's make an appointment with the neurologist. Oh, yeah. I get it. This is a setup. It was a setup from the beginning. Look, I apologize, Bert, but I knew you wouldn't come here on your own, and Tara has been so worried. Uh-uh, don't put this on Tara. This is this is you. <laughs> yeah, you, you, you're trying to put me away. You want to put me away so you can get your hands on on my on my pension? Oh, Bert! And, 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 and you're in it with her. The, the two of you are cooking up this nonsense so you can get my money. A couple of crooks. Bert, Bert, how long have we been friends for? Huh? Forty years? Forty years, but not anymore. And, and and what was that power I gave you? That law power? Power of attorney. Well, you don't have it anymore. You ought to be ashamed, Bert. I will. Yeah. Yeah. It didn't go great. I will say that I don't like how Goodwin and Dr. Charles played him. If that makes sense. Like everything, it wasn't just like them being friends and having this conversation. They had, they had an ulterior motive, even though it was for, you know, first best interest, they played him. 
Yeah, no, for sure. And I also think as someone who's had family members with like Alzheimer's and I think that it's very common in the beginning when you kind of start having the symptoms and someone finally says to you like, hey, like I think we should go, you know, get this looked at. Like this isn't just kind of common memory forgetting. Mm -hmm. I think it's usually like very much not taken very well a lot of times. Yeah. So I feel like Bert's reaction is totally normal. But yeah, I don't think the way they went about it, even though it comes from a place of caring, I think was not cool. No, I think I think Bert was definitely feeling kind of ambushed and disrespected. Yeah. And that's a lot to process. Yeah, it's already a lot to think that something is wrong with you. Mm-hmm. You know, there's something going on. But then to have be the ambush too, it just, yeah. Yeah, it was a yeah. recipe for disaster. And and yeah, so he's, you know, he's kind of hurt, which makes all the sense in the world. And the other thing, too, is that, you know, it's one thing to think that there's something wrong. But when you hear other people say it, that's a whole yeah. other thing. Yeah. So really, I mean, again, while they were doing this, you know, to look out for Bert and do it in his best interest, what they really did was kind of make things worse. They just hit him with a yeah. ton of bricks. For sure. For sure. Yeah. So it ends with Bert agreeing to get tested, but, you know, and he's still, he's pretty upset. He basically waits for Sharon outside the house. And he says that the only reason he's going to do it is just to get her off his back. Yeah. He's I upset. Do like, you think this story is going to end good? Like, even if it takes till the end of the season, do you think it's going to end good? Like, they're not going to do something to Bert, like, more drastic, like, kill him off, are they? I don't think so, because... Alzheimer's is not that kind of disease. To no, my knowledge. it's not a disease that comes and like it's very quick. I mean, I guess in some cases it can be, but like I, my family members, it was like 10 plus years at least. Well, but also to my knowledge, it's not one of those diseases that it, it's not something that you come back from. To my knowledge, I could be wrong. No, it's, I, it's, no, no, I don't think. I mean, I think you can definitely be okay. Like, there can definitely be a very steady decline. Like, mm-hmm. it doesn't have to be, like, a super fast decline. Um, but no, I don't think you ever really get better. I think you can just maybe stall it a little bit. Yeah. Like, you don't have to get worse that fast, but you don't get better. I think best case scenario is they would figure out how to manage it. Worst case scenario is, you know, he declines pretty quickly. Yeah. don't know yeah i feel bad for sharon yeah it's hard yeah like yeah she and bert aren't married anymore but like obviously you know she had kids with him like you know he's still a big part of her life um and yeah Mm -hmm. it's hard it's really hard to have a family member that has it's really hard i I can imagine i can only imagine crazy yeah and then we have hannah they, yeah. they were, this was just one of those this was one of those busy episodes where they had so many storylines going on that it was just like a little bit here a little bit here a little bit here. well that's what i'm saying this one like hannah you really honestly could have not done without it because i mean i like this storyline but it was like very much a filler storyline like they need a little extra time and i don't know if i'd call it filler though the topic was pretty heavy no that's what i'm saying but like there's nothing that happens to hannah specifically in this episode that like moves her story forward yeah it's filler in that way i like this storyline i think it's a very important storyline especially given everything that's going on down south i think it's really important yeah 
But what I'm saying is, I think in terms of moving Hannah's personal storyline forward, there's nothing that happens there. Right. Like some of the other characters. Yeah. Like Ripley, like Sharon. There's nothing that moves her story forward. Right. It's filler in that way. Yeah. So. All righty. So what are we calling? Okay. We know that his name is Lauren Johnson. Hot, hel- hot helicopter guy. But what are we actually going to be referring to him as? I like, don't know. Because-, because I tweeted, like, a lot of characters obviously go by, like, you would call Arch, you know, Archer is Archer. Like, Goodwin is Goodwin. Like, like a lot of times you end up referring to these people as their last names. And so, like, maybe with the exception of Hannah, you don't really call her Asher. But, like, are we going to call him Johnson and know that's who we're talking about? Like, what are like what do we want to call him? My, my, the, the thing I kept defaulting this to this week when I was outlining this episode was LJ, but like, I don't think we ever got official confirmation that that's what we were going to call him. Right. Like, do I call him Dr. Johnson? Is that what I refer to him as? Like Johnson? Doesn't flow as well like, as calling LJ. Him Lauren doesn't feel natural either, even though that's his first name, but like, we like to call him hot helicopter guy, but that's also kind of a mouthful now that we know his name. We just yeah. did that when we didn't know his name. So what do we call him? We need some kind of like consensus. What do this the fandom want to go refer him as? Yes, that. What? Help us. Maybe we should put out a Twitter poll. <laughs> should we call him Dr. Johnson, Lauren, LJ, Or just keep calling him Hot Helicopter Guy. But that feels like, if he's kind of becoming a main character, I feel like we can't just keep referring to him as that. I also don't want his first impression of us to be like, oh, that podcast that calls me Hot (laughs) Helicopter Guy? I mean, yeah. Especially, like I said, he's now, I don't know what his status is. I would assume it's just recurring. But, like, he's kind of becoming a big part of the show. I know. Which I like. So, like, I don't feel like we could, should just keep calling him that. But, like, what does the fandom want to call him as? I feel like when I tweeted Dr. Johnson, like, that also just kind of felt a little weird. I don't know. I think for now, I'm going to stick with LJ for simplicity's sake. Okay. Whatever you want to call him, go for it. Okay. <laughs> I don't know. It doesn't if the even... fandom has ideas and they want to email them to us, like, what they're in their minds referring to him as, let us know. Yes. Maggie's boyfriend is also acceptable. Eventually. Maggie's <laughs> crush. Yeah. Yeah. There's definitely some vibes there. We'll get there, but. I'm obsessed. Yeah. <laughs> we'll get there. Yeah. We'll get there. Okay. So. LJ, Lauren, hot helicopter guy, whatever his name is. um, He brings in this woman who's in septic shock. So her name is Caitlin. She was pregnant, but her water broke at 15 weeks pre-viability. So they knew basically the baby was not going to survive. But where they live, she doesn't really have great medical access. So she has to go to this rural clinic and they weren't capable capable of taking care of her, which is why Hot Helicopter Guy brought her in. So Hannah re- recommends inducing her instead of doing the D&E. And the husband starts telling Hannah that like the, while the fetus was technically alive when her water broke, so her doctor didn't want to do a D&E because they were afraid that the doctor was afraid that they were going to be arrested. A D&E, by the way, if you don't know, it's a dilation and evacuation. Again, RIP yes. my Google searches this week. Yes. Yes. So basically this woman has been existing for the past two weeks with fetal remains inside of her. 
fetal remains. Yeah. And so her husband was talking to Hannah and he's like, Caitlin just got sicker and sicker. He's like, I kept calling and they kept telling me it wasn't a life-threatening emergency. Which is just like. And I mean, I understand where the clinic is coming from too. Like they don't have great, you know, they have what little access they have to certain things, right? Because they're in a rural spot. They're not in a major city like Chicago. And like, while it sucks, I mean, I and I don't know if I totally agree with this, but like the doctor was afraid of getting arrested because that's what it's like in some places that like by doing things that could save a woman's life and that are actually she medically needed this. Someone can get arrested. And that is so fucked up. Uh, yeah, I, the blame here is not necessarily on the doctors. The blame is on the lawmakers. And yeah, right. I said it. I said it. Right. And given everything that's going on in the South right now, and yeah, it's really, like I said, it's really fucked up. Like, I don't blame the doctor in this situation. I blame the medical system. I blame the government. I blame a lot of other people um, because this was this was a life-threatening emergency, or, and that's what it became, ultimately. Right, right. She needed the D&E, and they were afraid. the doctors didn't want to do it because they were probably going to get arrested if they did it, and that's so yeah. fucked up. Oh, it's it's so fucked up. I mean, just the fact that they basically the law just like the law completely disregards the woman in this situation. Like, yeah, they completely disregards her. They don't care that, you know, they're like, we don't care that you're carrying fetal remains inside you. Like, suck it up. Deal with it. Yeah. You can't do anything about it. Like, suck it up. And then the fact that she kept getting sicker and they were like, no, it's not a life threatening emergency. She's septic. Her yeah. blood is toxic. Yeah. And they just don't care. This poor woman yeah. is going through absolute hell. And the government is like, you're not important anymore. The baby's the most important thing. Yeah. It's it's frightening what's happening to women's health care in this country right now. It's so terrifying. It's really frightening. It's really frightening. And if nobody knows about what's going on in Alabama, we won't talk about it that much, but I encourage you to read up on it because it's really, it's really frightening as a woman. It's really frightening. I'll say it. I don't care. Um, Alabama ruled this week that embryos, frozen embryos are children. They have the same legal rights as children. Yeah. Because again. And if they don't take, it's basically like killing a child. Because they didn't take. Right. Right. These American legislators are taking reproductive rights away from women, straight up. Yeah. They're you telling us what come we for can. me. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. They're telling us what we can and can't do. And that's why I think, even though it didn't do anything to propel Hannah's storyline forward, like, men, I feel like somehow was just so good at, like, kind of hitting on timely topics without even knowing that, like, the stuff in Alabama was going to be happening basically at the same time. And although they're not exactly the same thing, it's just like med is so good at kind of predicting like what medically is happening around the country. It's just kind of crazy that they're really good at that. Well, it's crazy. And plus, I think something the shows are doing this season is pretty ballsy. I mean, we saw in episode three of PD that they tackled the migrant crisis. Yeah. And well, and they mentioned it on med, which I don't think was a coincidence. They just like kind of happened that they both talked about it. Yeah. Um, especially because that's really prominent in Chicago. So, Yeah. They're, they're pretty ballsy this season, and I appreciate it. I mean, it's, I appreciate it's, it. I think it, I think it's needed. I think it's really important that they're doing those things. 
Yeah. Um, I just think, like I said, it's kind of crazy that this storyline happened right as the stuff in Alabama is going on. Again, they're not exactly the same thing, but they're both obviously about like women's reproductive rights and women's health care. Yeah. Um, so. Yeah. Again, writer's room, shout out. We see you. Yeah, we we really like it. Yeah. It's really great. Yep. Um, so basically, Caitlin's pressure ends up tanking, and she's bleeding. So Hannah had wanted to kind of hold off on the surgery because she was septic, but at this point, they've got to take her, you know, to surgery. And thankfully, they're able to save her uterus. Don't know how they did it, but somehow they were able to. Hannah things. Yeah, just Hannah being a badass boss bitch. I mean, mm-hmm. yeah. So, but, so Caitlin and, you know, wakes up and she and her husband are talking and, you know, Hannah tells her this, but she, you know, Caitlin decides she doesn't want to go through that again. And she even says, she's like, nobody would help it, but like, it didn't matter. Because the law is set up that way. Yeah, and her husband is even like, they basically, they lived in the rural area because her husband grew up there and like had a farm there and land and blah, blah, blah. And her husband has been so traumatized by what his wife went through that he's like, fuck that. Like, we're going to move. Like, I don't care anymore that like, I want you to have the access and the things that you need to do. And like, he's basically like, yeah, I don't care anymore. Like, we'll move somewhere else. That's scary, too, that you've got people who are moving to other states because these laws have impacted them. So I know a family who, not because of the abortion laws, but because of other laws, uh, they were going to leave Texas because of Texas's stance versus Illinois' stance. Yeah. Um, And that's, it's, it's scary. It's very dystopian. It's really scary. It's really scary. And I mean, it doesn't just, like you said, it's not just about women's health care. It's about, you know people striking that like gay marriage is no longer you know legal and things you know it happens to so many other people it affects so many other people in different ways and yeah it's really scary to think about that like someone you know people that you love are gonna have to move or give up you know whatever that happens to them just because lawmakers are now telling us what we can and cannot do sick yeah so but shout out to med again the story is really important Big time. Big time. So then we shift over to something a little happier. Um, Maggie's story kind of happened within Hannah's, but I want to give it its like proper space because I mean- It deserves its proper space. Hell yes. It deserves it. (laughs) So Maggie starts this episode, divorce papers in hand. I'm like, girl, yes, sign those things, like deliver it with a glitter bomb on Ben's doorstep. Like just- yeah, she's like, Peter, where's the notary? Hell yeah. Hell yeah. And, you know, Zola is just kind of like, you know, I'm sorry. And Mikey's like, it is what it is. You know, we're just, we're yeah. just going to do this. At this and point, so- it's time for me to like, I've given, you know, I've cried about it. I've done all the things. But at this point, it's, you know, it's time to move on. Yeah. Yeah. So the whole, throughout the whole episode, LJ and Maggie are just kind of like sharing their concern for the patient. Uh, and you know, at one point LJ's like, he's like, well, you know, all my other flights are done for the day. So I think I might just stick around and maybe I can like keep an eye on the husband. And Maggie's just like, okay. And in my head, I'm like, yes, please. You stay right the fuck there. Don't you move. Yeah. Yeah. So the biggest moment of all of this is just when they have this little chat. How's he doing? Not great. He feels helpless. Is she going to be able to keep her uterus? I don't know. Right now it's all about saving her life. Say you have kids? One. She's grown. Mm. My ex and I, we tried to adopt, but... Ah, 
I didn't work out. What about you? No, no, I um, yeah, I was married young before I went into the service, and after I got back from deployment, we both agreed that there was nothing there. It's all so hard and to have this. Um, love this. So this is them like vetting each other, right? Yes. Also, we learn a little bit more about LJ. I mean, who's married once before. He was, yeah. you know. Did we know he was military already? I don't remember. Because, like, either. he kept up, like, what, once last year? Twice? Once or twice. But I, well, I feel like we did get a hint because that's why he flies the helicopters because he yeah. was, like, a pilot or something. Well, him more talking about the details. And obviously, we definitely did not know he was married once before. Definitely did not know that. Um, I'm like, okay, I'm here for this. Background on LJ. I'm so I mean, here like for the it. more they give us of him, like I like the fact he's becoming more central to like med. I love him. Yeah. Like I thought, you know, I think last year we were like, he can come back next year. We're like, we're fine. Like he can totally come back. And like now that he's back and like actually becoming integral to the show, I'm like, yes, just give me more of him. I yes. Him. Yes. All of it. Yes. Please. Yeah, and so, you know, they're kind of vetting each other, having that conversation. And so after Hannah's patient, you know, after she tells her, the husband, like, you know, I don't want to do this again. And he's like, no, okay, that's fine. Uh, Maggie just kind of knows. She's like, there's still some good guys out there. QLJ rounding the corner at the perfect moment. Yes. Oh, my God. I'm so here for this. Well, and then the fact that, like, Hannah and Zola are kind of, like, nudging her. And she's like, no, 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 I'm not ready. And I was just like. That's fine. We're not telling you to go be in a relationship, but like I see it and I'm like, the vibes are vibing. I'm here. I'm here for all of it. I know you never watched Parks and Rec, but there's an episode when Leslie and Ben are still in the flirting stage and Leslie gets on the phone with her friend and she basically is like, I'm going to go make out with his face right now. And that yeah. is how I feel about Maggie and LJ. She's like, I'm not ready. I'm like, no, you go grab that man and you make out with his face at this moment. Like, oh my God. When it happens, I want sparks to fly. They're already flying. I love this one scene. I'm obsessed. I'm obsessed. And like my advice to Maggie, take it one day at a time. At this very moment, Batman is the most perfect rebound in the world. Like, but I don't want it to be a rebound. Like I want her, like, I get that. Obviously we want her to like, theoretically, like just go make out with the man. But like, he seems into her too. And I think sometimes like, if you think that something potentially more could happen, I think there's no problem in like waiting it out. And like, you don't have to have anything happen right now. Like feel it out. Like you said, take it one day at a time. And like, when you're ready, I feel like he's going to be ready. Cause like, it seems like I said, he's into her too. Yeah. Yeah. But like when she's ready, go make out with your face. (laughs) No, for sure. For sure. I'm just ready for her to do it now, but she may not be in that position because she just signed divorce papers. I recognize that. The vibes are vibing. I don't care though. The vibes. They're they're vibing so hard. And the man, I mean, he's hot helicopter guy for a reason. Yeah. (laughs) I agree. I agree. And I'm, I'm not trying to reduce him to a rebound. What I'm saying is, again, one day at a time. Let him start out as a rebound, get to know him a little bit, and then let's let this blossom into a relationship. And then maybe we'll post pictures of Maggie and LJ on social media to make Ben jealous. I mean, what? Just, <laughs> I'm here for it, is my point. Listen, we just, we love, we want Maggie to be happy. We love LJ. The vibes are vibing. That's all we're going to say. They're vibing hard. 
so hard. We approve. Yes. 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 I love it. Yeah. All right. Last up, we get Archer. And Archer doesn't have, like, a ton of ton going on. Um, but there is – this is a important storyline, too. So, Sean's friend from the rehab center comes in. And Sean's with him. And it's someone that Sean's been working with, you know, because Sean's now a counselor. And turns out that he's in heart failure, which is, like, very unusual for someone so young. And, like, the friend – I can't remember his name right now, but he gives – Dean permission to talk to Sean. So Dean's explaining it to Sean and, you know, asking about his drug use. And Sean's like, no, he's clean. Like, he's really working hard at this. And, like, apparently, obviously, the fact that he used to be a drug addict, though, like, with the needles and stuff, that could have had, you know, a pretty big effect on this. Um, So even though it's unusual for someone so young, drug use can, you know, contribute to that. And this is another moment where I didn't cry, but I was like, so when Sean's talking to Dean and he's like, if anyone can help him, you can, Dad. I know you can. And I was like, oh, man, these two, we've come so far. Chicago men just delivering lessons in forgiveness last week. Damn. Oh, and like, just no, and just like the development and like character. I was just like, oh, man, we've come so far. But actually, we've come though. so far. And like the way that Sean looks at him when he says it. Oh, man. So then we enter what we think, again, this episode does not confirm it, but we think we're pretty sure it's probably Dean's new love interest. Her name is Dr. Collins. She's the one who started the center where Sean works at. She's a doctor. So, you know, she comes in and Dean's explaining, you know, what they found so far and blah, blah, blah. And she like even compliments Sean. She's like, just so you know, your son has been a godsend. And like Dean's smile after she says that, like, obviously he's super proud of Sean and how far they've come. Again, the growth, people, the growth. It's yeah, yeah. And like just the fact that he like leans into that and lets himself be happy about it. Yeah. My heart. Oh, I know the feels. So Sean's friend ends up being just like kind of too far gone though, because at one point they try to, you know, debate him and like it just it doesn't help. And so he he ends up he ends up dying. And like it really rattles Sean. Because obviously we know that Sean just kind of started this job and this is probably one of the first people. I don't know what to call it. I, I don't, would it be a patient of Sean's? I don't really know what the right terminology is, but someone that he's worked with yeah. that obviously ended up dying and Sean really takes it to heart. And Col- or Dr. Collins kind of just talks to Dean and he's like, look, he came to the center full of hope, like wanting to make a difference. So it makes sense that Sean, you know, is kind of rattled by all this. I think the whole point of this was quite literally just to introduce Dr. Collins. Yes. Yes. And like you said, there's no confirmation. They don't really make eyes on each other. Like they don't really, like there's nothing that happens. It's just knowing that TV line said that quote, like they, um, Andy and Diane said that quote to TV line that like, it kind of makes sense. Cause you literally could have done this storyline without her. Yeah. Like she was not necessary for this storyline, except for the fact that we need to meet her. So it kind of makes sense that she's probably Dean's new love interest. Yeah, and I feel like if the point of this was to rattle Sean, that they probably should have made a bigger deal of it. Yeah. I will say, I like that Sean keeps coming back. I was a little afraid that once the kidney transplant storyline ended, that we really weren't going to see that much of Sean again. It was just going to be like Hannah and Dean talking and like 
Hannah be like, oh, how's Sean? And Dean be like, yeah, he's great. Like, I thought that. So I'm kind of glad that we get to see him in different ways. I really like that. I'm with you on that one. I love Sean. And like, yeah, Yeah. I love the actor who plays him. I'm I'm a Sean fan for sure. Yeah. So, but yeah, that's Med. Yeah. Like you said, it only really moved forward, what, two character storylines? Yeah. Maggie, good one. Good one a little bit, Maggie a little bit, but like Ripley. Yeah. 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 But not a bad episode. Again, Med's just doing good things. I mean. We love Med. (laughs) Like really. Like. Yeah. 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 It's the safe show still. We love Med. Minus breaking my heart in the season finale last year, but that's beside the point. Um, But yes, no, we we love Med. We love Med. And I mean, I think it's a hallmark of, you know, how good the show is right now is that even in the supporting characters, even in the more minor characters, we love them and we're interested and we care about them. Yeah. And I think it's a, you know, I think it shows too that like, obviously we were not Med fans in the beginning. This podcast well documents that, that like we didn't really care for Med in the beginning, but I think it also proves sometimes that, like, why shows need more than one season. They need more than two seasons. Like, sometimes it just takes some time to get the right footing. Sometimes the characters aren't working. So, like, it just sometimes takes time. And Med took its time. But, like, when we got there, it was good. It's Med's kind of a been, yeah. Med, it's Med, been good for the last couple of seasons. Med's kind of a late bloomer in that aspect. I feel like most TV shows that come along hit their strides in like seasons four, seasons five. Med's hitting its stride later in the game. Seven, it eight, was like nine. seven, eight, nine. That's what I was gonna say. Seven, eight, nine for me have been like the best seasons. I agree. I yeah. agree. Yep. So shifting over into fire again, this one felt kind of filler for me too. With some people, obviously the Brett stuff, they had to like send, you know, get Brett towards next week. They gave us a lot of, you know, Gibson backstory. But again, we don't know. That's a little TBD right now. So, yeah. but yeah, I mean, like the cruise stuff, the Herman and Reuter, which I enjoy, like, especially the Reuter or the Herman stuff. Like, I thought that was funny. But like, again, it was not the most important episode this season. <laughs> No, and and the the Brent and Violet storyline of this, I feel like the most important parts of this, this the most important part of this was the end. I feel like I yes. would have liked this story a lot more if it hadn't happened the week before she's leaving. Because we yes. all knew this one was going to resolve itself. Right. And, like, she was going to get the recommendation for Portland. Like, we all knew that. Yeah. And so I wonder, it- though, the only thing I wonder is, obviously, which we can talk about when we get there, but, like, if the Violet talking to the new ambulance chief Chief. yeah the way she did it like if that's going to be more tension as we go on but that's still up in the air too right so yeah yeah so we start with brett and violet and basically stella and violet and brett are like super hungover because they had brett's bachelorette party and we did not see any of it yeah rude rude very rude Rude. At least we got to see, like, even though Stella didn't have, like, a bachelorette on, you know, night out. Like, at least we got to see the tiny bit of one they threw her in the, you know, fire department. Yes. At least we got to see that. This, we just hear that it was wild. Apparently there was pole dancing. Yeah. Uh, Stella said at some point she had, like, whiskey blackjack or something, which I don't even know what that means. But, like, with whiskeys involved, I'm sure. Also, like, crazy. who else do you think, was it just the three of them? No, no, no. I, I imagine I imagine Chloe was probably there. 
Yes, that we just never see about, but yes. No, I know. Um, Kylie was probably there. Yeah, Kylie's 21. She can come now to these things. Cindy might have dropped by for a little bit. She might have dropped by if they, like, went to dinner first. She probably was there. I don't think Cindy went, like, out on the town with them, but who knows. But if they got as crazy as they're saying they are, I think Trudy was there. And Trudy committed. Oh, yes. But then, like, so then we go so far, like, does, like, do Burgess and Upton go? Like, in our mind, like, are the crossovers, like, does everyone, like, you know, we don't see the crossovers really that much anymore, unfortunately. But, like, I'm trying to think, because, like, the med people, I think, with the exception of, like, Maggie, like, the girls are too new. Like, I don't know if they're that close to Brett, but, like, Burgess has been around since Brett's been here, you know? I, I definitely want to imagine that Burgess went. Yeah. I would love so, that. Yeah. Yeah. I'm going to imagine in, in the white space in my head, Burgess and Upton went. Yeah. Don't know yeah. about any of the med people just because I think they're a little too new. Yeah. So. I love that. Yeah. Oh. Um. Can this be one of those things where we like call upon our listeners to write the fanfics about what happened at Sylvie's bachelorette party? I feel like if I dig and I haven't read Bratzy fanfic in a long time, but I feel like if I dig, there's probably already some there. Maybe not based off what they mentioned in this episode yet, but I feel like there are already imaginings of, like, what Brett's bachelorette looked like. Um, If there is Brett's bachelorette party fanfic out there, can you please send it to us, like, in droves? Yeah, we need it. We need it because we did not get to see this bachelorette party, and I feel robbed, personally. And obviously because, like, Casey's not technically on the, you know, Jesse's not on the show right now. We don't get any bachelor party either. Yeah. Like, I mean, granted, we're going to get a cigarette, a cigar chat next week week which i need yeah because they had kind of a version of that whenever i got married only right that we get a version of that when casey gets married but like yep. still i imagine that like sev came back and he's like okay great i'm back in time casey just got to town we're gonna do something and yeah i really hope it's not the last cigar chat we ever get i am worried yeah. about that <laughs> it's like all the feels it really is though i'm and i guess i mean i want to hope that like Given, obviously, that, like, this is a good exit, nobody's dying or anything like that, like, nothing's happening. That, that like, we know of. Yeah, I, I don't think Bretzy's dying. Like, I don't think they're dying. I think they get to Don't go to forget Portland. about the Expo Center and the shocking turn. Uh, yeah, okay. But we know they get married, so, like, yeah, yeah. it's fine. But, like, I think given the fact that it's 99.9% chance that it's a good exit, I think that, like, I hope that one day they'll come back. Yeah. I that that's what I'm worried about is that this is going to be a thing where like it's it's wrapping it up for Brett and Casey it's a happy ending and we never see them again I don't want that I want I I want Casey to continue to drop in the way he does especially because like we thought when Jesse left the first time that like that was it essentially and then like when he came back for Stellarite's wedding it was like okay that's it and then he came back twice last year and now he's back again and so like I like seeing him pop up. Like, I don't need them on the show, you know, as much as I love them both. Like, I don't necessarily need them on the show the whole time. But, like, if they could come back even in, like, a season and a half from now, two seasons from now, whatever, like, that would be really nice. Yeah, I would love that. Yeah. Because, like, do they really want to stay in Portland forever? I don't know. Right. Casey's a Chicago guy, so. Yeah. Yeah. We'll see. So Brett mentions while they're having this conversation, Brett just mentions that she had an interview with Portland FD before work. And, you know, she just mentioned she's like, you know, Matt and I need a bigger house for the kids. 
yeah domestic breasty oh my Crazy. god love it uh yeah and then she says honestly i can't imagine life without this work and so uh, she confirms with Tony that they're on for a walkthrough of the aquarium after shift. And Violet is just like, she can't believe that Tony of all people had this power. And she just says, she's like, maybe we're all just pawns in Tony's secret life where he yields a massive amount of power. I even tweeted. I was like, I would watch that spinoff. I, I, would, I would watch, watch a Tony secret too. life spinoff. Yeah, I would yeah. watch that. Yeah. Tony's secret life. That's like, that's just what it's called. Yeah, I, I kind of that. imagine, you know, the episode of Ted Lasso that just focused on Coach Beard and how yeah. it's like batshit crazy it is. That's what I was thinking of when Violet said that. I was like, that's kind of what I imagine Tony's life to be like. I could see it. Right? I could see it. It makes sense. Yeah, for sure. For sure. So 61 and 81, they get called to a school where basically there, there's a cardiac arrest, pretty much. This this kid on the basketball team, like, collapsed. And so they do everything that they're supposed to do. They cut off his jersey. They hook him up to the monitor. And basically, Brett goes to shock him, and the defib won't fire. Yep. And so, you know, she tries it a couple times, and it won't work. So what ends up happening is that they have to use the school's AED but in going to get it, there's a delay in care. I mean, he's probably delayed by like three or four minutes, which yeah. in the case of a cardiac arrest can be like the difference between, yeah, not life and death, neurological damage and not, you know. Yeah. Um, so the school AED works. And so they get him back. They take him to Lakeshore. And basically the whole gist of this storyline is that, you know, they're trying, they're basically trying to prove that the machine malfunctioned. Right. Um because they're saying, like, you know, every test worked, everything went properly, they haven't tested, and everybody's just kind of like, well, this is probably user error. But if it's user error, that basically means Brett's ass is on the line. Yeah. And so Bowden tells Brett, like, look, this kid is still unresponsive, and there may be, like, neurological damage, we just don't know. But again, if this is user error, it's your ass on the line. Right, because she's PIC. Right, right. And so they send off the device to get checked. And while that happens, the new paramedic chief drops by, Chief Robinson. And, like, I don't like her so far. No. I don't like not, her. She's nothing like our past paramedic chief. No. No. <laughs> yeah. So she, like, she comes to the firehouse. And I don't know why, but, like, Chief Robinson is just, like, choosing violence right off the bat. Like, no. she comes at Brett pretty much with the assumption that, like, you fucked up. She's like, I'm coming to get clarity. And then, like, as she's, like you know, asking the question. She's like, oh yeah, by the way, if this is user error, I'm not going to recommend you. We just met you. Calm down. Yeah. And that's why Violet yells a little bit and she's like, "Uh, yeah. I I love feisty Violet and she's- I know. Violet's just not putting up with it this episode. She's just like, I've had it with all of you. Yeah. It's great. But yeah, I feel like everybody kind of comes at Brett with the assumption that she fucked up. Like nobody even for a second backs them up thinking that it could be the machine. Yeah. It's kind of messed up. Mm -hmm. But yeah, Violet yells at the chief a little bit. And then even when they get in the ambo, Brett's like, you didn't have to do that. Now we're both going to get fired. And Violet's like, fine. It just means I have more time to visit you in Portland. No fucks given. No, She does not care. Nope. Nope. So, yeah, they the tech comes back with their report. The machine is fine, all of that stuff. But they go check on the kid on their way out of Lakeshore. He's not out of the woods yet, but they're hopeful. And, like, the whole team is there waiting, as is the kid from the other team who collided with him. But more about that later. Yeah. 
So Violet later, she sees Mouch rubbing a whole bunch of menthol on his arms and she has a little bit of a hunch, our little science queen, Violet. I know, love it. I love her. And even before she realizes it with menthol, she's like, I called this professor over at this university who like specializes in (laughs) electrical anomalies. Like, Violet, yes, ma'am, love it. Yeah, so Violet's like, wait a second, like, let's try this experiment because I think this might have something to do with why the defib malfunctioned. And it turns out it had nothing to do with the menthol, What happened was that the defib pads, when they got shipped to them, they got shipped in the middle of the summer and the extreme heat like evaporated the gel that makes the connection between the pads and the patient. Right. So basically they were super defective and there's like a whole bunch more out there that they like now need to figure out where they are and stop them. Yeah. From circulating. And I just love how like the minute they make the connection, Violet's like, and now let's go see Chief Robinson. Let's go yell at her some more. Yeah. Great. Yeah, so they go and they present it to her and yeah, uh, she's just like, well, crap, like we've got to, you know, we've got to intercept this, the chief, basically. She's like, we've got to make sure that we get all the other boxes that are out there that might be defective. And even while that's happening, Violet's like, and Sylvie's Sylvie's promotion? What about that? Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Well, that's what I'm saying is like, I wonder, we were talking about just two seconds ago, like I, you know, why really the chief Robinson stuff, but like, I wonder if that's going to come back to Violet like are Violet and Chief Robinson gonna butt heads more like as the season goes on I I would assume so yeah I guess especially because like what I mean you know Violet's about to get a new partner she's you know Violet's gonna get upgraded to PIC like I just feel like that's gonna come back later on I'm surprised we haven't seen or heard any casting news about the new medic yeah I mean they're coming in the next episode you would think unless they're just like well we haven't figured it out yet like you know, Violet's working with a floater right now, but, like, at some point, they gotta pick somebody. Yeah. Unless they moved Gibson over there. I mean, which I don't know. You know, that's why he's, you know, his Instagram story, but who knows. Is that wishful thinking that we're, like, hopefully he just got moved over to Ambo and, like, knows how and to hopefully play the it's a media typo. game? Yeah, yeah, hopefully it's a typo. I don't know. I don't know what to believe. Maybe he just already knows how to troll. Because otherwise, that would be up there with, like, the weirdest exits up there with um, Adrian, Stevie, and then Adrian. Yeah. yeah. And then Mackie. Because, like, they both were, like, new characters, were around for, like, just a few episodes, and then pieced. And, like... It, yeah, Adrian and Mackie, same person. Um, yeah, yeah, But Guy Locker, too. Which, I mean, he made it a no, whole season. No, but he season, made a whole still... season. That one's not as weird. I mean, still weird, but, like... I mean, Adrian made it uh, not that many episodes, like six, seven. I mean, kind of like Rome if he really truly leaves. I mean, Stevie, I think, made it like more than half a season, but still weird. Yeah. Um. Yeah. So weird. Yeah. So we'll see. But anyway. Yeah. Uh. Yeah. So Chief Robinson is like, look, like, I'm glad you're loyal to your partner, but like, watch it. Yeah. That's why I think. I think that's coming back later hmm. Hmm. we'll see but yeah at the very end brett and tony go to the aquarium for their walkthrough and it's not the shed aquarium it's it's a, it's a fish store i thought it was funny that she was like did you not look at the address on the invitations and he was like i saw the link but i didn't click it like oh my God. <laughs> and she's just oh. like i'm getting married in a fish store pretty much yeah oh man yeah, so that's Brett and Violet. Again, I mean, I feel like I would have liked this a lot more had it not been, like, her penultimate episode because we knew it was going to get resolved right from you the You should outset. have done it, like, episode three. 
or something like that. Maybe. Yeah. I mean, she's only there for six episodes. You don't have that much time, you know, to do that storyline if you're going to do it earlier. But yeah. Yeah. I just. I almost almost wish they could have had like leading up to the wedding, like Jesse come back for like even this episode, like him come back into town and like, you know, he went on this one and was there with like, I don't know. It just feels kind of a little weird that like Casey's not there yet in town. Um. That would have been nice too for the penultimate. Do something a little different, but I don't know, you know. Yeah. So, yeah. I'm just glad we get him back for once. I'll take one episode if that's what we get, but it would have been nice to see him too. Yeah. This. Yeah. Now, there has been some discourse on the internet about the wedding venue and how they're treating Brett and everything. We're going to get into this here in a second because the listener thoughts have a lot of it, but. Uh, Jamie R said, don't even get me started on the character assassination of Sylvie Brett. The fish store? I get it from Tony's POV, but this is the Brettsy wedding. I know there has to be some symbolic meaning behind it, but I don't know what yet. Everything they've done with Brett just seems like she's the pity friend. Like the one you have to be nice to because it's the right thing to do, even though you can't stand them despite them doing nothing wrong. We've only seen Julia once. Whatever happened to paramedicine? Since when does Sylvie not have a Monica fucking Geller level wedding grinder? That seems something like she would do. Yeah. yeah. Um, yes, I know she's a new mom and babies are a lot of work, but the lack of organization just feels incredibly out of character. I don't think the, I think the lack of organization on Brett's part probably comes from them only having Kara for six episodes. Yeah, I feel like, and I don't know, but I feel like they would kind of do a lot of things differently if she had stayed like even just the whole season. Yeah. Um. But in terms of the fish store, I get it. It would, you know, it is kind of wrong that they're going to have to get married in a fucking fish store. But, like, this show, it's a television show at the end of the day. Like, they always, like, there's not one single wedding that's gone right. in the And in the end, it goes right. But, like, you know, when Joe and Chloe got married, Joe ended up having, like, major stitches over his face because he got in that, you know, that whole thing. You know, the Stellaride venue fell through when they ended up getting married on a boat. Like, I mean, it's just, it's television. They have to have something go wrong, you know, before it can be fixed. Like, that's just how it's going to go. Um, I do think it is, I don't want to say wrong, but like a fish store is like, at least everyone else's wedding ended up like, oh, you know, Joe and Chloe got married in this beautiful church and like, yeah, it was on a boat, but Stellaride got married you know on this river and like it was beautiful in the background like it all worked out but like a fish store is like okay i think joe and chloe are the only one whose location did not fall through and i'm talking all of the shows not just fire yeah i mean there's something that's gone wrong with like every wedding ever on any of these shows yeah so like i think that's just television that it's gonna happen that like oh yeah they were supposed to get married at the aquarium and now they're getting married in a fish tour like i don't know if they i i don't know if like they even are though these the promo pictures well that's the whole um violet storyline next week from the episode description is like violet struggles to i don't remember exactly what it says it says violet scrambles to decorate brett's wedding venue so my guess is they are getting married there and violet has to figure out what the fuck am i (laughs) like how are we gonna do this they might pull off the shed, though, because look at one of these promo pictures. There's, like, this fish tank behind them is not the kind of fish tank you would see at a fish store. 
Yeah, I mean, I don't know. We're going to find out. But, like, I, they're not getting married, like, somewhere, like, super nice is, you know, what I think it ends up turning out. But let me look at it again. I don't know. Like, it doesn't look, I mean, it doesn't look like the aquarium. Let's put it that way. They're not getting married at the aquarium. The aquarium being the shed or the aquarium being that fish store? The aquarium being, like, the actual aquarium. The shed. Shed aquarium. I don't know. I don't know. Yeah, I don't think it's like, I don't think it's a dig at Sylvie. I think it's more just the one Chicago way of throwing off school yeah, for a wedding. Yeah, I think in terms of all the things, yeah, I mean, we saw it, you know, we've seen it a couple times. Like, Brett is very organized. She has, like, lists of, she's more on top of things. But, like, I think the strike played into that. And I think the fact that they have Kara for half a season played into all that. Yeah. Like, you know. Yeah, I just, I think, I, yeah, would it have been my picture perfect of how it goes? No, but, like, I'm not shitting on the writers about it either. Right. Because I think they did what they could with what they had. I Yeah, I think so, too. I think this is one of those situations. And I, I mean still think it's going to be a beautiful wedding. Like, I, everyone seems super happy. We get Severide back. Like, it's just going to, it's going to feel really nice to see them get married, have a beautiful send off. Like, I, I just think it's going to all work out. Yeah. I think it really is. I think it's going to be beautiful. I think yep. it's going to feel just very nice when we get by that moment. Yeah. So, um, Lexi said, I almost punched the screen tonight because I was so mad at how Sylvie was getting blamed for a situation that wasn't even her fault. That Chief Robinson woman made me so mad the way she acted and the way she immediately pointed Phil fingers at sylvie to the point where she threatened to make it so she wouldn't get a job at the portland fd just pissed me the fuck off thank god for violet being a queen and standing up for her and thank god that sylvie was cleared of any wrongdoing on a happier note that promo oh my god bretzy's finally getting married my jaw dropped at first i was thinking to myself oh my god not the fish store mm -hmm. i know that it was supposed to be a comedic scene with tony screwing up but the venue of the venue but poor sylvie looked horrified I feel like in the end, it's going to work out, though. The venue may not be ideal, but it's unique and it has its charms, just like her and Matt's relationship. It's really bittersweet seeing her go, but I'm so happy that Bretzi's finally going to be ending. Yeah. 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 Make I sure you check out the interview with Kara at the very end, because there's tidbits in there about, you know, the dress. Um, yeah, but... that was in that was crazy to me, like how I really like the fact that she got to be so involved in that. I think that's yeah. very cool. Yeah, very, very cool um yeah and and brett's brett's adopted parents are going to be there at the wedding so there's a little note in there about that too make sure you check it yeah, out because it's, it's really cool preview. it's really yeah. it's really cool yeah yeah really really cool yeah all right next up we have herman and ritter i thought this was funny yeah it was funny i mean yeah not really important but funny yes so we start off and Herman and Ritter are in the common room and Herman's talking to Ritter about the importance of local television. And I just, is so, it's good. And he, Herman's like, you're not going to get that on Netflix. And yeah, <laughs> typical Herman rants. Did you so, catch Ritter's face the minute he says, he's like, you know what your generation doesn't understand? And Ritter's <laughs> face is just like, oh, damn. Ritter's it. face in this entire episode is just, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So Cap and Tony end up joining Herman on the couch and it's like a tight fit. So Herman, he gets a little peeved, gets a little peeved. 
Um, so they're on the way back to the house from the gas station, and Herman sees this like big recliner chair on the side of the road that somebody's getting rid of. And Ritter brings up when Herman last brought a piece of furniture to the fire ha- to the house, and like it caused bed bugs, which was a callback to season eight. Mm-hmm. when they have to leave and that's when they go to the house that Violet's at originally in the beginning and we have the whole Violet and Gallo gym scene and that whole thing that's why that happened oh. uh, so I love the callback I thought that was I thought that was very cool um and Herman's like fuck that I don't care I'm bringing it to the house anyway <laughs> so Herman and Ritter bring in the chair and like poor Ritter he's struggling so hard with like bringing in this chair um and everyone else doesn't really care for the chair they're like okay why i don't okay um and herman's like i've saved the firehouse from blowing to bits and blah 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 and they're like okay we get it like you can't use that excuse but so many times like okay (laughs) fine and they're like okay you've got it like you can keep it but like it's gotta get out of the common room so they move the chair out of the common room. And even there was another callback when Herman's talking about Cindy's interior decorating. And she was like, he was like something about like how she was in that magazine. And remember that one time she like came to the firehouse and they were going to do a whole, you know, she redecorated it. I just thought it was cool that they did a few callbacks in the storyline. Like, I always think that's really fun. I don't even remember the thing with Cindy. Remember, she, like, came, she was getting in some magazine, and she, like, came and, like, redid all the furniture in the firehouse, and everyone was, oh. like, everyone was, like, yeah, it's great. Just and it kidding. was terrible. Really, yeah, yeah, It was really bad. Uh-huh. Um, I just thought it was cool, because they had that little callback, and then the callback to the bed bugs, which, yeah. Uh, so I just thought it was fun. They had some few callbacks into this. So... They find him finding out it's a massage chair, and Ritter's like, fuck this. I don't care. I'm done with everything about this chair. And so is everyone else. And, like, Herman ends up moving it to Molly so he can, like, charge people to sit in it. And it's just like, okay, typical Herman thing. Very Always Herman finding a way for a Yeah. Um, we did have a listener thought about it. Jamie R. said the storyline with the chair, although funny because it was well done. All I could think about was, like, where are the grownups? It felt like complete <laughs> chaos and Bowden not being there to yell at them. Just feel weird. I know not everyone's going to be in every episode, but it's not working. The yeah, people. Miss it's weird. It. It's, just... it's weird. It's just like it's weird. Like yeah, we may not have had like a big Bowden episode, but like we probably would have seen him at least once, and I don't think you see him at all. He's in that one scene just to tell like Sylvie. Like, oh hey. yeah, yeah, yeah. Just tell Sylvie like hey. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, and that was that was the other thing too, is that I mean it's it's hard to keep track of, right? Like during med, we were texting and I was like, so everybody's here this week. And you were like, Yeah. And then we were like, Okay, so who's missing from whatever? It's right. just and then weird. you get to like PD and it's like, okay, well, Upton's not here and we'll get there because it felt very heavy on the on the boys. It was a boys show this week. I mean, you saw Kim a little bit, but like we'll get there. It's a great episode. But yes, oh, it just yes, it doesn't yes, feel we'll right. It, yeah. People missing it just, just felt feel weird because right. like I mean, granted, especially in PD, like, they already have so little people. So, like, even when Upton was gone this week and, like, we saw very little Burgess, like, it was such a great episode. But, like, it just very much felt like a boys club a lot of the times because it was, like, you barely saw Burgess. And so you really just saw, like, all the boys. And there was no Trudy. Yeah, no Trudy either. Yeah. So, like, you barely saw Kim and it was, like, okay, here's the boys. Okay. Boys week. Got Mm -hmm. it. I think it was funny when they got back from that call at Lakeshore and Stella was like talking about her ankle. And the minute she sat down in the chair, she was like, this I'm is good. amazing. I mean, massage chairs are very nice. Yeah. But yeah. 
Yeah, that was funny. And I mean, Cruz, the same thing. The minute he sat down, he's like, it's going to be fine. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Oh, that's funny. So then we've got Cruz. Cruz gets a call from his Slamigan distribution rep and his sales haven't been great the last few quarters. So his boss is like, look, like I'm going to have to drop the Slamigan if things don't pick up. And Cruz goes, the timing's terrible. Javi's about to go to college. And Cap's like, yeah, in eight years. So yeah. funny. I mean, college so, is expensive. You got to save up for it. Yeah. Yeah. And so the problem is, is that most houses already have a slam again and they don't break. So the problem is, is that they're too well made. Yeah. So there's no repeat business. And so Cap is like, why don't you just like put out an updated version and just call it like the slam again extreme or something? People love that. Like, for Cap being Cap, he has some genius ideas. He does sometimes. every now and then have, like, a good idea. Yeah. He really does. And so Cruz is, like, freaking out. because So basically, Cruz is, like, brainstorming ideas. He's jotting them down on this notepad. And in the course of moving the recliner, Herman just, like, did not give a shit and just up and moved the squad table and spilled coffee all over it. Yeah. So Cruz is freaking out, looking for the notepad with the slam again ideas, and he finds it, but it's illegible. It's like gibberish now because of the coffee. Yeah. And so they go and talk to Herbert about it. And Cruz calls the distribution company, runs the idea by him, and is just like, look, why don't we just like paint it by orange and red and call it the extreme? And the rep just just like, it might work. I'll get back to you. Yeah. And that's that's it. that's it. So really, like you said, the Gibson Carver stuff is the only stuff that did not feel like filler this episode. Right. It was actually what we needed because, like, we don't know that much about Gibson. And now we found out, like, the meat of his backstory. Yeah. And, and like, I, I feel like we had two comedy storylines this week, which kind of, like, yeah. the comedy balance is nice, but also. Well, like, we did, like, the Slam again was in that weird spot of, like, it was kind of comedy because just, like, Cap and Tony make everything comedy. Yeah. Like, even, like, the Brett stuff with the, like, venue stuff, it's, like, Tony and Cap always make everything comedy, but, like, it didn't, like, the Slam again, I don't know. The, it was, like, it was cool to, like, see the Slam again be brought back up again, but, like, I could have done without it. Yeah. So. Yeah, for sure. For sure. Um, last up, we have Gibson Carver. So Gibson ends up watching a video of the incident that Brett and Violet, you know, because they were all there. It was all of Truck and then Ambo. So Gibson ends up watching a video of the incident from earlier, like on TikTok or wherever. And it was pretty normal contact. So like, obviously, the player that had the heart issue ran into a player from the other school. Um, and it was pretty normal contact. I mean, it basically, like, that can't be why his heart stopped. Like, he had to have something else that, like, got triggered by the collision. And so Carper asked to see the video. He's like, oh, let me watch it. And Gibson, like, kind of gets a little weird about it. And they're like, okay, that was weird. But nobody, like, reads too much into that. So later on, Carver asked Gibson if he got an update on the kid since he saw it. They have, like, a call, which is not really important, where, like, they get called to Lakeshore and there's like a patient that is going a little, I don't like to use this word, but going a little crazy mm -hmm. and attacking other people. And anyway, so while they're at that call, Gibbs or Gibson is seen like talking to a nurse. And so later on Carver is asking him if he got an update on the kids since he was talking to the nurse and Gibson kind of freaks out a little bit. And he's like, that's not what I was doing. 
And Carver's just like, okay, I was just asking if you got an update on my kid. Like, I wasn't asking you for, like, your life story. I was just asking you. So, later on, Carver finds Gibson doing, like, a late-night workout, and we get this confrontation. We got a heavy bag, too. It's in the storage room right now, but we can pull it out. I know you used to box. You know I used to box? How do you know I used to box, Carver? Look, nobody's trying to get in your business, all right? One of the guys Googled you when you first came on. That's it. It's not a big deal. So what do you want to know about me? Huh? I'm right here. Nothing. Forget I said anything. No, it's nothing. Yeah, you know, it sure don't feel like nothing. The way y'all keep crowding me, looking over my shoulder, popping questions all damn shift. Stop searching me. Stop talking about me. Don't ask me nothing. Stay the hell out of my business. Again, Carver was just like, I know you're not like a big Carver fan, but like Carver was not doing anything but like trying to kind of bring Gibson into the fold and like make him feel welcome. And he's like, yeah, we have a heavy bag too. You could use it. And like Gibson just kind of like explodes on him. Yeah, but this is the this is a thing that they do on fire that I don't really like with the newbies. And yeah, okay, 51 is different, yes. But they did it with Gallo, they did it with Carver, and now they did it with Gibson, where they basically just like force him into telling his life story yeah. before yeah. he's ready. Right. And like Gibson at least comes around and ends up telling it to Carver. But like, I think the issue with Carver is that when Carver was introduced, he kept pushing back on, he was like, no, I don't want to tell it. I don't want to tell it. And like, instead of them respecting that, it ended up making Carver look like a bad guy. And we weren't able to get used to, I don't know. That was, I think, part of the reason why Carver introduction felt weird. Cause there was just so much tension around his story and he didn't want to tell it. And that's fine. But they were like, no, you have to tell it. You have to tell it. And it's like, I don't want to talk about it. Yeah. And so they, they're kind of doing the same thing with Gibson here where, you know, him him going up to Carver like that and being confrontational, we barely know him. So it could very yeah. well be interpreted as like, what's his problem? Instead of us probably being like, oh, he's probably defensive about something. Well, I don't like how they've done like, this. Yeah, especially because like when Carver basically admits, he's like, yeah, we Googled you. And, like, so, like, anything we could find, like, yeah, you didn't want to talk about it, but we're going to find out anyway. And, yeah. like, instead of it letting coming from Gibson, like, they admit to, like, that they Googled him. That's disrespectful. When I think they could have said, like, I think what he should have said in that moment and, like, what they should have ended up telling him is that, like, when they were at that, like, Costco call, somebody talked about the fact that he was in the Golden Gloves or whatever that whole thing was. I forget the name of it. Mm -hmm. And, like... So they didn't do anything. They just heard someone say that, like, that's what he, like, that's where they recognized him from. Mm -hmm. And, like, that's not them looking for information. That was somebody, like, they just heard that. Somebody asked them about that. Yeah, it's just that, I mean, I I think telling They could somebody... have used that as a way in and, like, if they really wanted to try to get him to open up, kind of approach it from that way. Like, hey, we heard this at the Costco call. Like, you know, do you want to talk about it? Do you want to... Like, what was that? And instead, he didn't really want to talk about it. And that's fine. But, like, I don't know. Telling somebody we Googled you is basically an invasion of privacy. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Unless you're, like, which, unless you're, like, super, super famous and, like, then came into a situation like this. Okay, well, then, like, all of your life is almost public already. Like, yeah. Googling is 
fine. But yeah. So Harvard does, he does the right thing. He apologizes to Gibson like the next day in the locker room after shift. And Gibson mentions to him that he wants to go check on the kid. Not the kid who had the heart thing, but the other kid. And Carver offers to go tag along. So they don't, like I said, they don't go to Lakeshore. They go visit the kid who ran into Jared, the kid who had the heart problem. And this is what Gibson tells him. Feeling responsible for another person's life. It's a heavy load to put on yourself. Not easy to shake either. Believe me, I know that feeling. It's like two giant hands squeezing your ribcage so tight you can barely breathe. It ain't on you, Marcus. Look what happened to that boy. It's not your fault. Nobody ends up in the ICU after a collision like that unless they have other health issues going on. Look, hearing that from me won't do a damn thing to loosen that grip on your chest. Saying it's not your fault, it's just words. Words don't change anything. Action changes things. Take what you're feeling, turn it into something good. Now, you can figure out a way to do that. You start to feel real different. I promise you. I really like this moment. I liked Gibson reaffirming to whatever the other kid's name, Marcus, <laughs> that like, you don't, and it kind of almost in some way leads into PD too, that like, Things happen and, like, you're not always going to make the right decision, but, like, that doesn't mean it. what happens is your fault. Yeah. Like, this was just a pure accident. And, like, it's not on Marcus that this kid had, you know, a heart condition that nobody knew about. And this a simple collision, you know, caused him to collapse. Mm -hmm. Like, that's not Marcus's fault. Right. And I appreciated that Gibson pointed that out to them. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Um, and so on their way out, they leave Marcus's house, and Gibson admits to Carver that he killed someone right in the middle of the dang street. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. There, there probably was a better way to do that. It was just a little like, okay, like it'd be one thing if you said like I punched somebody or whatever. Okay, fine, but like you're literally yelling in the middle of a street that like you killed someone. It's like, okay. Probably not exactly the time and place for that, but, like, okay. Also phrasing. Yes. Phrasing. Yes. So, later that night, they're in some random bar. Gibson tells Carver about what happened and his story. Golden Gloves was supposed to be my ticket out of Garfield Park. Mm. I was on my way, too. Once this world 2019, Illinois State Attorney a year later. I was cutting for nationals when I got in the ring with Marty Johnson. Marty the Machine, what they called him. Tough as all get out, cut like a marble statue. You ever put the gloves on, Carver? No. Well, the thing about it is, you know, going to the ring, wanting to hurt the guy, but you're not, not trying to hurt him either. You know what I'm saying? Hmm. You're trained, punch, 
with everything you got. That's what I did. You went down in the third round. Never got up. Damn. I knew what was going on, too. Seeing him there on that mat. Paramedics working on him. It was gone. I could feel it. I still feel it. If I let myself go there, you know? I mean, honestly, I, I can't even imagine. Anyway. Association, they uh, figured a way to play it all down. The lawyers, they warned me not to talk about it. And I didn't. Not to anybody. You ever fight again? No. No, I couldn't get my head on straight. Locking that whole thing away really messed me up. Yeah. Got so bad, I even uh, ended up in a psych unit for a stretch. At Lakeshore. That's how you knew the nurse. Mm. Those folks really helped me. Seeing how they took care of people. See, that's where I decided to become a firefighter. I never really looked back. Until I saw that kid. Laid out on the hardwood yesterday. I'll tell you one thing. You're not the first guy to join the CFD off the back of some personal misfortune. Sounds like you know what you're talking about. I'll tell you something else. Getting up on those rigs every day helps. You're in the right place, Gibson. Yeah. So. That's Gibson's backstory. Which is not what I thought it was going to be, but, like, I knew it was obviously going to have some effect. I thought it was going to be more personal to him. Like, he got injured mm -hmm. and couldn't start boxing or whatever. I didn't think it was going to almost be, like, the other way around. Yeah. Something about it, something about it didn't sit 100% right with me. I was just kind of like, this is a little odd, but... You know, not a bad thing, I guess. Oh, I didn't find it odd. It was just definitely like in my mind before this, I was like, okay, this is how it's going to go. Like he got hurt during boxing or something and it made him reassess his life and he, you know, blah, blah, blah. Mm -hmm. That's what I thought it was going to be more like. And ultimately it kind of was like in some way, like something happened to him while he was boxing. It wasn't him physically that got hurt, you know, somebody else. And you know, ultimately he kind of went into a depression and needed to get help and obviously ended up at Lakeshore and, you know, kind of changed his mind about, you know, people in the medical, you know, medical field and, you know, public service and yeah. Yeah. I mean, nowhere in this storyline did anybody ever say it was an accident, which I think was just a little odd. To, I think that made it a little odd to me because I was like, you know, Gibson clearly did not mean to 
caused this person's death you right. know so i yeah i don't know it was just kind of I, I i left with that storyline and i was just kind of like something feels like it's missing something feels off I didn't mind. I mean, I didn't mind it. Like I said, it just wasn't in my head about exactly how I had like an idea, and maybe I shouldn't have had an idea of how it was gonna be. Like his what his backstory was, and it just wasn't that. Yeah. So, hmm. I guess I'm just curious. Again, we have this whole theory now, or maybe we're super reaching, and in a couple of weeks we're gonna be like, "This was stupid of us," but like. <laughs> We get all this backstory, which is great, and, like, we're kind of liking Gibson, and then I hope they don't rip him away from us, but. But this is when Chicago. Don't know. Yeah. Don't know yet. TBD. TBD. We'll probably look like clowns in a few weeks, but that's okay. We got the, we got got the, the we're prepped for that. Yeah. So, um, we did have some listener thoughts. Jamie R. said, I didn't like how they were making Gibson out to protect himself to possibly get Brett in trouble. I'm glad Carver stepped in, but I also really don't care. During that storyline, I felt like I was watching a completely foreign show. It didn't feel like fire. I've known and loved for 12 years. I don't think Gibson had anything to do with Brett. Mm-mm. Like, I don't see, personally, like, Gibson protected himself and got, like, I, I don't, I didn't personally see that at all. I think I think Jamie's more referring to the fact that Gibson didn't really care about what was happening with Brett and Violet, but nobody did for that matter. Nobody was really involved in it. Brett and Brett and Violet were. It was a solely Brett and Violet. Yeah. Thing. yeah, yeah. The Gibson stuff was completely separate. Yeah, it all stemmed from the same incident, but like they were ultimately completely separate storylines. Right. I think what I don't understand is why Carver was like, oh, you know, I I know how it felt when they Googled me. Okay, well, then why did you do it to him? I, and I, this is going to be like such an excuse. And I know that what I'm about to say was like, he wasn't the one who originally Googled. He went along with it. Yes. Yeah. He technically didn't do the Googling. But I think if anyone can rel- come the closest to relating to Gibson, it was Carver. I think that would make me so uncomfortable if I came into this new environment and they were pressuring me into telling my life story. Yeah, it would feel a little weird. I mean, it would feel a little weird. It would feel off-putting. It would almost feel kind of culty, honestly. Yeah, I think we just buy into it because we know ultimately once they get brought in. hmm that, like, they are a family and, like, there is so much love there and respect and that, like, it's been a li- I think it's also just been a little weird because, like, the Carver one was a little weird and then right the next season, the Gibson one is also kind of a little, a little weird. Um, I don't think it's nearly as weird as the Carver one. And I think it just maybe comes off that way because it's, like, been back-to-back seasons. Maybe. But I feel like the Carver one was not handled nearly as well as the i think this is also just when carver was introduced they went to like so many different directions it was like he was butting heads for stella and then it was like sever i'd left eventually and then like he that kind of was like maybe 11 i don't know they did so many different things with carver in the first season that like i was like i don't know what they're doing yeah Uh, but i feel like they have like a way more clear introduction for gibson personally Hmm. yeah yeah no so Natasha said this, 
Put it in your calendar. This episode marks Carver fully becoming 51. He is all up in someone else's business, trying to draw them in, trying to figure something new out. He's 51 now. No professional boundaries anymore. I'm just going to say it. He's a minute away from getting a 51 roommate. <laughs> that would be funny. Um, Yeah, I mean, I to me, Carver this season has really felt more fleshed out, included in everything, like, I definitely feel like he's way more a part of 51 than he ever was last year. Yeah, I agree um, with that. Like I said, last year they were just trying to do like 20 different things with him. And then this year it's like, okay, this is what we're doing with him. This is who he is. This is what he is, his role in the firehouse. And I'm cool with it. I'm cool. yeah. I'm very cool with it. Yeah. Um, last year it was like, pick a lane and stick with it. Mm-hmm. And they finally picked a lane and stuck with it for him. Yeah. So I agree. Yeah. Yeah. Any other notes on fire? No. That episode. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I'm really excited though. Like the Bretzy wedding. I'm I'm really excited. I probably will cry. Me too. Me too. I'm excited. It's, I'm really excited. Yeah. Kara made talking to Kara the other day made me like that much more excited for it. Yeah, and it felt really nice to be able to like talk to her one last time and just say, you know, hey, like, thank you for everything. We're gonna miss you. Yeah. Well, and like we've never gotten to really like We've met her at cons. We met her that one time we went to filming. Like, Mm -hmm. we interviewed her, like, in one Chicago day setting, like, that one time with Jesse. We've done, like, games with her, but we've never really gotten to talk to her, like, one-on, well, two-on-one, but, like, one-on-one. And, like, yeah, it was really nice to just sit there and, like, obviously she reminisced a little bit. She was talking about her favorite things and, like, it was really nice. Like, we've personally never gotten to have a chance to, like, do that right before someone's exit. Mm -hmm. Um. And it was just, it was a really cool moment for us, but also it just felt very, I don't know, we both walked away from that being like, wow, like, A, she's really a great interview. I kind of hate (laughs) that we never got to interview her by herself again, but like, yeah, we just, I think both walked away from that being like, wow, like that was, that That was nice. It felt very nice. Yeah. Very cathartic in a lot of ways. I think it also helps the exit too. Like, Mm -hmm. usually we have a lot of, like, tension and anxiety around the exits, and, like, we don't like them, and, you know, even if they're nice, we're like, no, we're gonna miss these people, but, like, I think even talking to her, like, as a fan, like, I kind of just feel way much better about it. Yeah. I mean, I always felt good about it, but you know what I mean. Yeah. So. Yep. Yeah. All right. It's PD time. Let's stretch it. Yeah. I'm kind of excited to talk about this one, though, even though it kind of, like, rips your heart into a million pieces. I love this. I mean, yes, the case is, like, tragic and awful. And I think this is my favorite PD episode of the season, though. The Kevin episodes always knock your socks off. Well, and I think this is the first time for PD in a really long time, like, even beyond this season, that, like, I feel like you can actually relate to a PD episode. Because Mm -hmm. even though we don't have to deal with like potentially like making the wrong choice could affect some you know cause someone to lose their life i think there's a big lesson in this that like we all feel like sometimes we make the wrong you have to make a decision and sometimes it's the wrong one and you're like what if i did the other way like what if i just done this what if i just done that like and that's what kevin is essentially in this he's like what if i just gone the you know gone for the other door and you know I just feel like there's a lot that you can relate to in this episode and like PD almost never does that. And I really appreciated that. And I, like I said, I think this is by far my favorite episode this year. Yeah. Really, really I mean, good. I love the Berzig engagement, but as an episode as a whole, like I think this is my favorite episode so far. Yeah. Yeah. So 
the episode starts and we've got a Lou Atwater sighting. This is like icing on the I cake. I love it. I we love didn't know it. Lou was going to be in this episode. I love it. Give me all the Kevin and Lou stuff. Yeah. And so Kevin and Lou are having breakfast. Like, I I just, I admire, I admire the forgiveness. Yes. Amongst all three shows that they've shown. Like, yeah, I admire it. Uh, yeah. And it, it's just, it's amazing to me. It's impressive that Kevin has been able to put everything that happened behind him and allow himself to have a relationship with his father moving yeah, forward. For sure. That's a, that's a big thing to do. And he's working on it. It's not perfect. Mm-hmm. And that's okay. He, they're working on it. And that's really all you can hope for. Yeah. Yeah. So Kevin and Lou are having breakfast together. Lou mentions that Jordan's supposed to come. Yeah. Uh, and he didn't show. And Kevin's making excuses. He's like, you know, at that age, they're always, you know, hanging out with their friends, things like that. And Lou just calls him out on it. He's like, you don't have to do that. Like, you don't have to try and protect me and manage it. Like, it's not on you. I can handle it. But I mean, I, and A, that's true. And we get into that more so in the episode. But B, I think, I mean, I think we did some math. And if if the timing lines up, Jordan was a tiny child when Lou went to jail. Yeah. So, I mean, that is probably a lot for him to wrap his head on. And there's probably a lot of resentment there, if I were to guess. I, like, my first, when I heard all of this and, like, really sitting back and thinking about it, I was like, okay, the next time, like, great, we've had a bunch of Kevin and Lou. Like, give me the Jordan and Lou, Kevin. Like, give me that in the next time when we Lou shows up. Yeah. Like, that's the next step is, okay. Like, if we're really going to keep going down the Kevin and Lou repairing their relationship, like, you've got to, if you're mentioning Jordan now, you've got to bring Jordan back eventually. Yeah, so the next time they have one of these breakfasts that Jordan is scheduled to come to, we'd better see it. Right, we've already just forgotten about Vanessa, so, like, uh, like, I don't think she exists anymore. But, like, Jordan, we did see that one time when he went with Mac and, you know... They went ice skating that one time. So yeah. Jordan still exists. He's around to like, okay, make it happen. Make it, make happen, it happen. Yeah. I want to see that more than I like wanted to see the Bretzy Bachelorette party. Like, I think it's more important that we see Jordan and Lou and Kevin. Oh, for sure. Yeah. For sure. That's important. I want to see that. Yeah. We're just salty because like we want Bachelorette parties because those are always fun. But like, yeah. <laughs> but yeah. So, yeah. uh, yeah, and so Lou's going to get a CDL, uh, his his driver's license. You know, he's going to make good money and everything. And he even mentions, he's like, I want to start paying rent at the building. And, yeah. you know, good 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 things are happening. Which Look now how that far I, we've come. But actually, though, but actually, but now that I think about it with good things happening, it makes me Stop. really nervous. Stop, nope, We're not even bringing that up, Gina. We're not even bringing that up. The curse of the father. Nope, nope. Nope, nope, nope. But, We're not going there. Okay it's burnt us too many times we're not going there i honestly hadn't even thought about it so i it didn't cross my mind until i said it just now and then i was like oh shit damn damn it yeah indeed okay so kevin's walking with lou down the street and he got this new watch and the battery goes dead and so he's like what the fuck like why did this watch stop it shouldn't have stopped and lou's like well lucky for you you're right by jeweler's row and so Kevin's like, good point. Like, I'll go do that real fast. And so as he's going to find somewhere to fix the watch, he hears glass shatter. And he basically happens upon a robbery. And so 
the robbery is happening. These two guys are inside. It's a smash and grab, basically. And the the doors, like the locks on the doors are like time release or something. It's like there's two doors and then like the inside one locks yeah. after the outside. The one actual like setup of the store really didn't make sense to me. Like why was, especially like if you had said that was in the back of the store, maybe okay. But like it's literally right at the front of the store. Why do you have to have two doors? Like, I don't know. That part made no sense to me. It, yeah, it. Yeah, the, the that the setup of the store confused me a little bit too. I mean, I get it; it's for security measures. But basically, Kevin goes in, and the owner of the store has been shot, and he's mm-hmm. like face down. He's kind of at the back of the store. So this couple that's in there, while they're trying to figure out like how do we get out of here, what do we do? Kevin's yelling. He's like, "Get down, get down!" Well, they don't get down. Um, instead, they kind of like so the. The husband hits the buzzer to let the wife out the two doors and she gets out. And then he tries to make a break for it too. He gets shot. So mm-hmm. the husband who is shot, he's between the inside and outside doors. He's right. in the limbo he's there. locked in, basically. He's locked in, yeah. There's like time release doors. Which now that I think about it, if they were patrons of the store, how did they know about the, t- the door buzzers? And how did they know where they were? I think it was just... They happened to be right there, and when Kevin told him to crouch down, I think they just kind of figured it out with okay. that switch thing. Because he was trying to, like, tie it to keep it open, and I think it was just, it happened to be where they crouched down. Okay. Hmm. Yeah. So, we've got we've got the store owner at the back of the store. At the front of the store, we have the husband who's locked in between those two doors. Now, the thing is, is he's not locked in yet. Okay, the inside door is closing and it's closing slowly. And Kev has a good like five second window of which person to go to first. Yeah. And he ends up going to the store owner. Yeah. Which allows the door to shut on the husband. And so when I was watching this, it felt like sports to me. I was just kind of like, Kev, what happened, buddy? Like what? What went down? What? Well, especially because like. Once he realizes the door shuts, he's trying to find, like, the key to get it open. Because he knows, he notices there's, like, that lock at the top that he could just do it. And so he's searching the owner and he can't find the key. So that puts him even, like, more behind. Yeah. So. Yeah. Because he he chooses to go to the owner first. Well, the owner's dead. And so in the time it's taken him to do that, the door shuts. for the key. Yeah. Yeah. The door is shut, and now he realizes, like, he, he can't open it. It's shatterproof. He can't bust it open. Right. Like, he can't find the key, so he can't just open it, you know. Yeah. So what basically ends up happening is that Kevin and the wife watch this guy die, like, right in front of their eyes, and they can't do anything. Yeah. It's That's terrible. Terrible. Yeah, it's terrible. It's a horrible spot to be stuck in. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, again, I mean, in my head, I was wondering, I was like, Kev, what happened? But also... We've all been in situations like that where there's multiple things happening at once and we almost kind of freeze. Yeah. And like sometimes you make the wrong choice and you're like, fuck, I should have done the other thing. That's what I'm saying. Like I, this to me felt like the most relatable PD episode in a long time. Yeah. Only I think for Kev, I mean, obviously it's it, the consequences multiplied. Like, right. Cause you ultimately ended up losing a life. Right. As a result. And I mean, some people, you know, uh, we don't know. At some people, it may happen that way too. But like, just the idea of, like, I can relate to, even though it's never been as extreme as, like, losing a life, there's something there that I can relate to. And with PD, that almost never happens. Right. Especially these days. And so I just really appreciated that about this episode. Yeah, yeah. And 
I mean, Kev, be, Kev being Kev, I mean, he's, you know, he's analyzing it. He's trying to like backtrack his, his, you know, his steps and just figure out what he did. And so, I mean, he's talking to the wife and the wife just mentions like, we weren't supposed to be there. I noticed that I liked a necklace. Like we were literally just walking by and it ended up costing him his life. Yeah. Um, and she also tells him, she's like, I didn't get anything that could ID the robbers. Like, I didn't see anything. They took all of our wallets. They have our stuff. Like, I did not see a thing. Yeah. And so as Kevin's leaving, he stops one of the forensic guys. And he's just like, look, off the record, like off the record, if somebody had gotten to this guy sooner, like, would he have lived? And the forensics guy just says like, yeah, he may have survived. And like, oh, Kevin's face. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yep. Uh, so... Yeah. We get back into the bullpen and everybody goes over everything they know. And again, this is one of those episodes where like the, on the rewatch, on like the closer watch and the more attention to detail, this is a good case. Yeah. It's yeah. a good case. Yeah. So basically they, they try to backtrack their steps, analyze everything, connect the dots and things like that. And so they realize that the bullets match a previous robbery that had happened in Jewelers Row like a week or so before. And they also get some camera footage from across the street. So the wife, Teresa, she lied. She had seen the robbers. Yeah, she saw their faces, like, very clearly. Yeah, she looked them right in the face. And so Kev goes to Teresa's house and asks her again, and she still denies it. She's like, I only saw a glare. But also, she's not afraid to just put Kevin in his place. Oh, no. Because she blames him. She blames him for the loss of her husband. Yeah, Oh, big time. And she says it even when he's at the door, which like, okay, he comes to the door and there's family there. And he's like, I hope I didn't catch you at a bad time. Kev, her husband just died. Every time is a bad time. Right. Yeah. There's yeah. never going to be a good time. No. And you're definitely the last person she wants to see. Yes. Sorry. But uh, yeah. And so he's like, look, we have footage. I know you're lying. I know you saw their face. But then she's also like, wait a second. Like, you had time to come and get Corey and you didn't. You went to the other guy. Like, why did you do that? You let him die. Right. She's basically like, fuck you. Pretty much. Pretty much. And so, yeah, she throws it in his face and he just kind of takes it. And so back at the district, Boyd checks in with Kevin and Kev tells him, like, look, you probably want to put somebody else on this to talk to her because she blames me for what happened. And he tells Void about what happened that like, hey, I had a second. I made the wrong choice. That's what happened. And so Void's like, okay, we'll have Kim take a run. You and Ruse go check out this pawn shop where you're looking for the watch. And so they go to this shop and Kevin is way out of fucks to give. This guy will not like, yeah. he's like, look, I don't take stolen merchandise. I don't know what you're talking about. And Kevin is just like ripping the place up, taking watches out, dumping them mm -hmm. on the counter, like does not care, like just to get the answer. And Ruzik's face in this whole thing, Ruzik's face is just kind of like, Kevin's going through a thing. Yeah. Like he knows he's like, something's up, but I'm going to write it out. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. Did you see any of the videos that LaRoyce posted on his Insta? I think I saw some of them. He posted some of like the bloopers of certain scenes and one of them was this particular scene. No, I didn't see that one. It was kind of funny because like, they, you know, they're doing the scene in like in segments and like he takes out the watch stuff and he's just going through his lines. And after he says, he's like, I'm not cooperating. I'm doing what you're doing. Like we've got two dead bodies. And he just goes, I'm going to tell you what I'm going to do. I'm going to take all this shit. I'm going to put it in a fucking bag. And then they call cut. And it was, it was funny. That's funny. Yeah, it was funny. And so, yeah, so basically kevin's like okay if you're not gonna give me the info i need like try me fucking try me i dare you yeah and that's when the guy is like okay 
here's the description. Like, here's what happened. And basically the guy they're looking for has like a barbed wire tattoo on his neck. Yeah. So once they leave, that's when Ruzik tries to talk to Kev and be like, what happened? Like, hey, buddy, want to talk? Yeah. What's going on? And they get cut off, unfortunately. There's because there's another robbery happening. And so they rush over to this robbery. They find the robbers fleeing again. And they end up shooting a guy in the alley. And instead of Kev going after the robbers, because like this guy gets shot in the alley, Adam puts him up against the wall and it's like, look, Kev, he's fine. It's a through and through. Let's go after the robbers. Let's handle this. Well, Kev doesn't do that. He yeah. goes to the guy who was shot and stays with them. And so Ruzik again finally asks him what's happening, and we get this. Yeah. What happened? Why did you stop chasing? Looked like he was losing a lot of blood. I had to apply pressure. There's a clean exit wound. I told you that. I cleared him. I made a different call. What? All right. We might have had him. I'm trying to figure out. I don't out. know what else you want me to say. I made a different call. I didn't really have the eyes to really tell how bad the shot was, so I did what I had to do. I'll take whatever heat I got to take. Oh, if you I'm... know that's what I'm saying? What are you saying then? Oh, it's me. Yeah, what is going on? Nothing. If you need to talk. No. If you want to talk. No, I don't want to talk. I made a different call. I'm not about to regret stopping a man from bleeding. All right. All right. We'll work the scene. I'll call it to Kevin is just straight up in full denial mode. Yeah, I mean, he takes mistakes pretty hard. I think he always yeah. has. He has a lot of guilt over this. Yeah. And he, the Ruse is like, let me be there for you. Like, just explain it to me. And Kevin's just like, nah, like, I, no, I'm not, no. Right. Kevin just straight up is like, nope. And Ruse is like, okay, I tried. Yeah. Crazy. So, Brenda, go ahead. You can take it from here. All right, so they don't end up getting anything from witnesses, pod cameras, et cetera. So they're kind of back at square one. And Boyd's like, okay, we'll find something that will break Teresa into talking or like we're going to charge her with obstruction. So Kevin's going over files at home and like Lou stops by and, you know, because he missed Spade's night. And Kevin's like, oh, yeah, okay, fine. And like, so Lou ends up coming in and we get this conversation. It's hard to say. I just feel like I made the wrong choice. Try to save a man I couldn't even save. An impossible choice is what that sounds like. And that doesn't sound like a choice at all. Oh. Definitely had a choice. Trust me. I saw both of them. And I chose. I don't know why I chose him. Maybe there's not a why. I mean, if I could have just seen George, the store owner, if I could have... Just knowing what state he was in, I would have triaged for a fact. Imagine I can stop that door before it closes. Then the offenders probably wouldn't even got the owner, or if I could have got the Queen Teresa before they ran for the door. Hell, if my watch would have stopped a minute sooner. You think you're responsible for the watch? You know. You do this thing, you want to take on everything, where you think you're accountable for everything. This building, the neighborhood, the job, Jordan, Vanessa, me. But no man can carry everything. 
And I don't even think it has anything to do with all that. Maybe. Maybe not. But you want to be accountable for this. And this ain't something you can be accountable for. Neither one of those choices would have been right. Regret. Now that's something I know a thing or two about. It'll swallow you whole if you let it. I love this because I feel like this is such an easy thing to forget about Kevin. Yeah. He really does try to take accountability for everyone. Right. He's done it his whole life. I think because of the position he was in, you know, raising his, you know, siblings and like he had to be. He ended up being a parent way too soon. And he just always has been. So it obviously, you know, merged into his work. Yeah. Yeah. And then the job they're in, it's so easy for every single misstep to feel like it's his fault. Right. Yeah. Even when it's not. And I think the only person it was, if it was, if he was going to hear it from anyone, he had to hear it from Lou. Like if Ruzik had told him kind of basically the same thing, like it would have not gotten through to Kevin. Yeah. And it still doesn't really, because we'll talk about the end, but like if any, if it was going to come from anyone, it kind of had to come from Lou. Yeah. Agreed. Agreed. It was one of those things that the minute Lou said it, I was like, oh my God. Yeah, that's true. Like, it's just so easy to lose sight of that when it comes to Kev. What even started, like, that's what ultimately ended up starting the episode is Kevin was trying to take, you know, accountability for Jordan and, you know, cover up. And Lou's like, no, like, I can handle it. Just tell me that. Yeah. So it even literally starts the episode off that way. Right. So. So Kevin ends up going back to Teresa's house one more time and she's still denying it. She's still denying it. She's like, no, it's just a glare. And he, they found the dirt on her. He basically, he brings up to her the fact that like her son and friends beat up a kid last year and there was no like real evidence. The kid wasn't obviously pressing charges or anything like that. So basically the son got and the friends kind of got to walk away with it. And he's like, oh, well, the kid's ready to talk now. So, you know. Yeah. And he uses that to manipulate her. And basically, that makes her start talking. And she goes over what she was able to see. And Kevin shows her a lineup and she IDs him right away. She's like, it's that guy. And his name is Philip Morrison. And basically, they he was about to flee. What, you know, they start kind of doing is they're digging on him. He was about to flee, but they served him an arrest warrant very quick and very easy. But they don't have any signs of his partner in crime. So Kevin and Voight interview Philip, and he's, again, he doesn't want to talk, he doesn't want to talk, he doesn't want to talk, but he ends up giving them a name, Travis Aiden. So intelligence goes to Travis's apartment, and they don't find him. But Kevin finds a bag of money and jewelry in a floor vent, you know, Torres found drugs, Kim finds a phone number on a bill, and so they're able to use that to ping it, ping the phone, and they ping the phone to, to basically where Teresa lives. Because if you remember, you know, Teresa mentions early on that they took all their ID, they took their wallets and their IDs and basically said, like, look, if you talk to the police, we're coming after you. And so Travis is holding up that his end of that, you know, threat, basically. So they're going to come kill Teresa. And of course, They've had a protection detail on her this whole time. And, of course, it's not there at the moment they need it because they were like, oh, well, we went to go, like, switch. 
And Kevin's like, you should have done that at the fucking house. Like, why? Like, what why are you so hell? dumb? Yeah, like, you're on a protection detail. Like, why would you leave the person you're trying to protect? It makes yeah. no sense. But anyway, so Kevin rolls up on the scene of Teresa's house, like, by himself and goes inside after Travis. He comes across Teresa's son and, you know, calms him down and tells him to hide in the bathroom. He basically, he goes upstairs and, like, comes across Travis. He shoots Travis and, but Travis is still alive. And he tells Teresa to, like, hold Travis's chest wound tightly. And she's, like, she refuses to help him. She's, like, you don't choose him. Yeah. And what Kevin does, he chooses to, you know, save a life, you know, even though Mm -hmm. he's a terrible person, like, he chooses to save his life. Mm -hmm. So we're back at the district. And basically what happened was the reason Travis was able to find out this is that like when philip said he called his lawyer he called travis instead and basically told him like look the police is after you like yeah so that's how travis was able to figure it out and go after Teresa at the moment that he did and boyd stops kevin on his way out he's like look remember in training about multiple victims like who you choose and kevin's like i don't remember that and boyd's like because it's not there like we don't have it like look you save who you can save you did good and like let it go. You can't keep, like, letting yourself wallow in all this guilt. Yeah. So. Later that night, though, like, literally in the middle of the night, like, Kevin's trying to sleep. He can't seem to go back to sleep. And so he's like, okay, I'm gonna get up and go back to the jewelry store. And he, like, hears Lou's words echoing in his head. And he ends up retracing his steps and, like, finding the key that he was looking for on that day. That would open the door and that he could have used to save Corey's life. And that's pretty much the end of the episode. Yeah. And there's confusion about the meaning of this, which I, I'm glad it's not just me. Cause I was a little bit like, what is, what does that mean? Um, but yeah. Yeah. I think, well, so our first listener thought it's from Jeannie, and she says, what did I miss at the end of CPD? Like, did finding the key just mean that Atwater could have unlocked the door? Are we giving him more guilt? I I don't really know if we're giving him more guilt. I think he heard what everyone's saying about kind of let it go, but he just can't let it go until he kind of figures it out and like I think this this going back to the jewelry store when he couldn't sleep, I think was his attempt to try to figure it out so he can leave it in the past. He's not sitting in his guilt so much. Mm-hmm. Now, does finding the key all of a sudden, like, does that unlock it? I don't know. That still kind of leaves me a little confused too. But I think him going to the jewelry store was his attempt to kind of get rid of all of his guilt one last time. Well, yeah, I think it was definitely him like retracing and trying to figure out where he went wrong. I think finding the key, given where it was, because it was the key was by the little buzzer thing that like time released the door. Right. But it so, was like underneath something. Like he wouldn't have seen it was underneath some glass or something. Like he kind of didn't, he missed it because it was kind of like underneath something. Well, yeah, but also, the, okay, the gist of like the layout of the store that I got is that you have the door at the very front. I got the gist that, like, the time release door was on, like, the left side behind the counter. Yes. That's the vibe I got. The owner of the store was, like, in the back center of it. Right. Like, in the main hall, main aisle. Yes. So, 
if Kev was beating himself up thinking like maybe the owner had the key and I just was moving too quickly, maybe that's the way of showing like, Kev, this was not your fault. You would not have found the key no matter what because of where it was. Right. And I think he just assumed that like you're the owner, you're going to have the keys to open all the doors. Like you keep them in your pocket or whatever. And that's Mm -hmm. why he went to the owner first and like that wasn't the case in this moment. The owner didn't have the keys. The keys were somewhere else. Yeah, I think that's, I think that that might be the point is that given where the key was, he was never going to find it. So like, it's okay to like, stop beating yourself up over it. Right. Yeah. I just, my only thing that I still kind of leave, like, I'm like, okay. So like, but I guess in my mind, I wonder if Kevin thinks like, okay, yeah, I may not have found the key ever, but like, if I hadn't gone to the store owner, I could have caught the door and still made it in there. That's the part that would, that's the part that would chip away at me is that I like constantly seeing the door just slowly shutting and going the other way. I guess my thing is though, so like say Kevin did, right? Say Kevin made it into Corey. He still wouldn't have been able to get out with Corey, right? So I guess, but I guess is the idea that like if Kevin had gotten there and put pressure on the wound that like that would have been enough to save him. Cause like Kevin still isn't making it out the other side because the other side is still a time door, right? Yeah, the other side's still a time door. It's just, I think Kev could have applied more effective pressure. Right, Corey, and like that being shot was probably like, it right. weakened him. Right, right. That was my, yeah. But, I don't know. But no, I don't think the idea is to give him more guilt. I think he just, he's trying to figure out how to like live with everything. And hopefully by finding the key in a completely place where he would have never looked, realizes that like, he may still not, have been able to save Corey even if he went and found the key see and that's that's the tough part of this episode to reconcile with is that and I feel like if he had chosen Corey first he definitely could have saved him yeah but also again it's a high pressure situation yeah like it's not your fault when you don't know I think the other part of it too is like obviously you don't know that the store owner's dead you just see him lying there Mm -hmm. so like you know, what if the store owner had been alive? Like, chances are, if you go for Corey, then, like, you're probably going to let the store owner just bleed out. Assuming mm-hmm. he had been alive. Yeah. You know. Yeah. It's hard. It's, it's hard. It's so hard. So hard. But Especially for Kevin, who feels like he has to take accountability for everything. Yeah. But I really, I just, I really enjoyed this episode. I just, to me, like I said, there's a lot of relatable both things in this and PD a lot of times just feels so case heavy but like I just I thought it worked so well like the personal with the case because obviously the personal was caused by the case yeah and a lot of times that does I just I thought everything about this worked really well same same really well I think the Um, migrant episode was up there for me and this one as well I don't know if I have a favorite between the two but both of them are probably the top two so far this season for me yeah so crazy so um jess h said i love a kevin episode but i don't know i found myself kind of not fully watching it it just felt out of place if that makes sense like very random i know they don't have a full structure and there's episodes that link up apart but it just felt like a random episode to have an episode also no Haley. they know she's leaving right um chicago pd the past couple seasons just doesn't feel like a team anymore and rather single episodes about each character instead of them working together I I agree with that. I mean, this episode as a Kevin episode was fantastic, but it's a big, giant, gaping hole when you have somebody missing every week. 
Yeah. Yeah. It used to be in the past every now and then they'd get like one scene, but then aren't in the rest of the episode. And it's like, okay, fine. Like, okay, fine. But yeah, it definitely feels weird. Like I said, like there's like only a couple of scenes of Burgess, but the rest of the time, like when they're out there, it's like Kevin Voigt, Ruzik, Torres. And it just like felt so much to me. Like, I think because it was all guys that like, it was like, oh, this is like a guys episode. And yeah, so... It's weird. And it's one more thing to process, right? Like in the beginning of the yeah. episode, you're like, oh, this person isn't here. Like, it doesn't, it feels weird. It feels weird. The earlier seasons were so special because of the team aspect of all of them working together and collaborating and vibing off of each other. And For it sure. feels like in this season, we're on like a skeleton crew. I will say though, that like, I feel like if you're gonna do the structure this way i think this really worked for like infusing the personal and the case together mm -hmm. because the personal it wasn't like oh you get the personal at the beginning of the episode and like maybe one random scene in the middle and like also at the end like you really felt the personal all throughout this episode yeah and to me that really worked and i you know i just if you're gonna do it and like i feel like this really was a good example of like how you can make it work Yes, but with that said, just after this season, don't do it anymore. Full team. That's never going to happen. I hate it. Yeah. Ugh. I don't like it at all. You really think that they're going to stick with that for, like, the, the future seasons? Yeah. We're like They've one done it now. I mean, how many? They've done it now for years. What, with one person missing every episode? Oh, no, I'm not talking about that. But I think we knew that going in, that it's not just, like, one Chicago shows that are doing that. That's not, like, a Chicago thing that was, like, NBC's, like, okay, we're cutting budgets. So, like, figure it out. Yeah. So, yes, only because, and again, like, when that case, like, that's not really even, like, a right, that's a unfortunately just kind of, like, you're stuck with this, make it work. So, yes, I think they are, but not because of, like, it wants to be the writer's thing. I think that's just, like, a whatever that was, the budget and all that stuff and, like, the time slot. You know, whatever. I, yeah, I do. I don't like it at all. I don't like it, but I think, unfortunately, we're stuck with it. Gross. Yeah. Any other notes on PD? No. Like I said, loved it great really this was really a great episode this was a great episode the kevin yeah. episodes are always fantastic yeah so good so that's about all we've got this week um well no not for this week because it's monday when you're hearing this we've got more this week well we also we've kara with kara yes so that's about all we've got in terms of episode recapping but as we said we did talk to kara kilmer this past friday and here is our chat enjoy all right, let's get into it. I know you've got some questions. Just throw them at me. <laughs> so we we came into season 12 knowing that, you know, Sylvie was on her way out. What made now the right time to exit Chicago Fire? I think this is the natural conclusion for Sylvie's character. You know, I sort of I'm sort of selfishly delighted over the fact that her journey in Chicago started as a jilted bride. Uh, dumped at the altar by her high school boyfriend in Salwich in Indiana, and she ends up across the aisle from the love of her life and obviously also the most eligible bachelor in all of Chicago and Portland. 
Um, and so this is just, you know, it's just so satisfying to get to see her end up with everything that she always wanted. Did you know? Go ahead, Gina. No, go ahead, Brennan. You ask. Um, So did you know going into last year's finale, obviously, because it ends with the proposal cliffhanger that like this was kind of going to be, you were going to wrap it up with a couple more episodes and that was it. Um, I suspected that that's how it was going to go. I wasn't sure, but I suspected. Um, So I've had, I definitely had a lot of time to process the idea that that last season was my last full season. Yeah. And, uh, you know, and, and, you know how easy it would have been for them to start the season with with Violet in the locker room telling everybody else, like, oh, yeah, I just got off the phone with Sylvie. She settled in Portland with Casey and Julia, and, you know, they're having a great time with the boys. Like, it would have been so easy for them to have, you know, just skipped over that. And uh, so it's, it's it's been such a privilege to be able to have six full episodes to really round out the conclusion of her story. Yeah, great. And so at the end of this week's episode, she was a little upset because she thinks she's getting married in a fish store. So without spoiling anything, do you think she's ultimately happy with how things turn out? You know, this is a classic staple of our show, okay? You have one house member who has a big problem, and then all the other house house members have to, like, brainstorm and put their heads together to come up with a solution, and this is very much that kind of thing. And obviously Tony Tony just needs to stick to squad. Okay. Like don't do anybody any favors. Don't change your day job. Like just save people's lives and keep it at that. Okay. No more no more wedding planning. But um yeah, I you know, I think you can you can kind of see from the promo uh a little bit how they've how they've transformed the space. But um yeah, it's it looks very different by the end of by the end of, uh, you know, or, or it looks very different uh, once you finally get into the episode um, than what you see at the end of five. Um, I know you've been posting a lot on Twitter about, you know, kind of rest wedding process and just ideas getting the fans involved. And a few weeks ago you had posted pictures of you in different wedding dresses. So, like, did you get a say in which dress you kind of wanted Brett to choose or, like, how much just say did you get in, you know, the wedding process for her? Oh, yes. So the wardrobe director, Sue Kaufman, and I went around to four different bridal shops in Chicago. I probably tried on at least 50 dresses. Um, And then we kind of chose, like, our top five and actually had a little, like, sort of faux bridal party in the wardrobe office, Um, Hanako, Miranda, my makeup artist Karen came in and with Sue we all I tried on all five like all of the top five favorite dresses and the resounding feedback was for the dress that we wound up with. Um, you know, it's like uh all of the dresses that I posted on social media were like absolute no's. So I was like, I'm gonna put those out there because it's not they don't look rem- they don't look anything remotely close to what we actually end up with. Um, but I still wanted, I still wanted, um, you know, to have fun with the fans, like planning her wedding. So, um, but you know, this, the wedding dress that she ends up in is like, it's so Sylvie, it's so romantic. It, there's, 
you know, kind of a sort of a pale pink nude um, underlay, like underneath the lace. And I even wore like pale pink shoes because I, I think pink is kind of one of Sylvie's colors. favorite colors. And so she was having a Barbie moment. <laughs> um, excuse me. <laughs> so did you, you have know, the, same was... the other aspects of the wedding? <laughs> Absolutely not. <laughs> um, oh, that's not true. I did. Um, so I, you don't really, they're not featured very heavily, but, um, you know, I was like, we've never seen Sylvie's parents. Um, and our stunt coordinator, Rick Lefevre, who's, you know, who's been with us for 12 years, um, I'm really good friends with him and his wife and, and all of their kids. And so I asked uh, the director, Reza Tabrizi, if, if they would be okay just casting Rick and Gina as Sylvie's parents. And, um, and so they did. And, uh, so you'll see some pictures of them, um, and they, you know, they, they were even, they were so sweet. They even left me a wedding gift in my trailer and signed it from, from Bert and Betty Brett. Um, and, uh, so that was, that was really fun. Cause you know, it's just so, it's so much better to be able to like look out into the crowd and see familiar faces rather than, you know, some, a couple of extras that you don't know very well. So that, that was, um, that was, that's a sweet little Easter egg. That's awesome. That's so cool. Um, obviously now that you're, you know, you've finished filming your part, you're kind of done. What are you going to miss most about working on Chicago fire? Oh man, the most, well, you know, I've had seven partners on the AMBO, um, and I'm so grateful that the last partner that I got to have was Hanako. Um, yeah. She is she is so sharp. She's such a hard worker, and she's funny. I mean, I've never laughed more on this show than I have in the last four years. I mean, she she makes me like laugh with tears, and that's very hard to do. Um, and so she's just, you know, like we've become really great friends and, uh, and I'll definitely, I'll definitely miss sharing that space with her. Um, and, you know, it's also just, it's such a well-oiled machine. People always say that people have been saying that for years about this show, um, that it's, you know, it's, it's intimidating and also exciting to step onto our set because it's just such a well-oiled machine. Um, and that's true. You know, it's, they're the most seasoned crew um, and the most well-natured cast. Um, and so I, you know, I'm a little, I think just a little intimidated to maybe step onto another set that doesn't have all of those kinks worked out. Um, but at the same time, I'll be excited to, to be able to contribute to an, a new job, um, what I've learned on fire. So, you know, it's it's very bittersweet, but it's definitely more sweet than bitter. Hmm. Yeah. There's a lot of fans who really love Brett and Casey and have been rooting for them for so many seasons now. So what does it mean to you to be part of a relationship that means so much to so many people? Oh, man, it is it is so cool. Like, I am so grateful for 
the breathy army. I mean, they are like, they are on it. They observe everything. And, you know, it's like sometimes I'll forget something and then I, I can go and look on the like hashtag breathy page and it's like, oh yeah, that's right. I forgot about that. Um, you know, cause they remember every single detail and they are so supportive. And, you know, I think there, there was a, an, an all out battle between Jossie fans and Breasty fans for years that's been, that's been ruthless at times. And so it's, uh, you know, it's, it's satisfying to, to let, to see the Breasty fans get their, get their happy ending. Um, but you know, it's such a, it's such a sweet relationship. And, you know, personally, I'm like, anyone who's been on this journey with Sylvie has seen, you know, they've seen her be in relationships time and time again with Cruz and Antonio, and she almost married the chaplain, and she had a fling with Granger, and then uh, um, and then Dylan. And, you know, in all of these relationships, what's consistent is that, is that they always wanted Sylvie to compromise in some way or another, and she's she's such a hopeless romantic, and she so badly wanted to be in a loving, committed relationship that she's been willing to bend over backwards and try and make it work until it just absolutely couldn't. And what I like about her relationship with Casey is that he's never asked her to compromise. You know, he always brings out the best in her. I think she matured the most in her relationship with him, and and they have a lot to offer to each other that, you know, that none of the other relationships really brought out in the two of them um so it's just so satisfying that they get to end up together yeah and i know we're about running out of time but one last question you've played brett now for almost 200 episodes and so what have you learned about yourself from playing her in the last you know almost you know 200 199 episodes Um, yeah yeah i mean i'll say one of the things that i love the most about sylvie is is her resilience. You know, it is, it it has been so humbling to attempt to tell the story of a first responder for 10 years. Um, These servicemen and women are so, they're such special people. They have, um, they have self-sacrifice and uh, a brotherhood and, and grit and humor that is so challenging to distill and I know that all of the actors on, on this show, uh, what keeps them going is, is always aspiring to trying to do justice to these servicemen and women. And and one of the things that I love the most about Sylvie is just that through all of her trauma and all of her loss, she still believes the best in people. And she still wants – she still uh, – she, she doesn't get jaded by what happens to her. She just moves on to the next person who needs help. And I think that we need a lot of, we, we need those kinds of people. We need those kinds of stories, especially right now. Um, and so that's something that has always been humbling about playing Sylvie. Love it. Well, Tara, thank you so much for uh, for stopping thank in and doing this with us. We are going to miss you so much. Yeah, thank you. Going to miss you guys, too. Once again, big thank you to Kara. We are going to miss you so much. Yeah. Yeah. It's so bittersweet. I know. We'll we'll reminisce more on this week's episode coming up. Yes, yes, yes. So um, 
we've got more coming this week, of course. The big Bretzy wedding is what two days away now because it's Monday when you're yeah. listening. Crazy. So Insane. So yeah, as always, you know where to find us. Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, Tumblr, TikTok, meet us at Molly's everywhere. Meet us at Molly's at gmail.com. You can talk to us about anything. We watch other shows. A lot of yes. other shows. Um, yeah, you can message us about anything there. Follow us individually on Twitter. I'm at Gina Watches TV, Bryna. I'm at Bryna K13. Um, everybody have a great first two days of the week, and then we will see you on Wednesday for the Bretzy wedding. That's pretty much it, right? Yeah, and then you'll hear us from us again on Friday. Yes, and we'll have a friend with us too. Um, our dear friend Logan will be with us for the Bretzy wedding. So yes. Very cool. All right, guys. Well, have a great next two days, and we will see you on Twitter on Wednesday night. Or X, but nobody calls it X. I never, yeah, I never call it X. It doesn't flow. No. <laughs> Whatever. Okay, we're leaving. Bye, guys. Have a good week. Bye.